Hey, paisanos, it's the Negative World Podcast Super Show. the Negative World Podcast, a podcast about video games by the Nintendo fans at NegativeWorld.org. This is episode 54, and we are recording on Wednesday, October 9th, 2013. I'm the hero of the Bionis, Steven, and with me is the hero of SR388, Joe. And finally, the hero of Hyrule, Ricky. Hello. Hello. Hi. That was quite a, a bloated intro from me, but... Uh, <laughs> hey, it was uh, good. I hope so. I, uh, I did absolutely zero practice. So. Hey, Paisanos! Yeah, I don't know why I put that. Do, that's do, 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 do. That's actually um what my 3DS greets people when I pass them. It's Hey, Paisano. Ah, nice. Yes. But alas, uh, everyone listening, thanks for coming back for another episode of the podcast. Uh, as I just said, the, uh, the hero of SR388, Joe, is back, as usual, my co-host. And uh, we actually have another... New guest this week or this, this, is this crazy. episode. I know it is kind of crazy. It's our third in a row, and uh, hero of Hyrule, as as we just announced, his name's Ricky, and uh, he was kind enough to uh, to come on and discuss the Wind Waker with us, which is going to be a main topic for today. Uh, so yeah, thanks for joining us. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so the format of this episode is going to be a little bit different than normal. We're going to, instead of have a now playing segment where we talk about a variety of games, we're going to just talk about The Wind Waker. Because the HD remake just came out, a, what was it like, uh, it came out on disc, not even a week ago from this recording, but mm. it came out on uh, digital download like two weeks prior to that. And uh, it's kind of a hot topic, and I think we're all either falling in love with it again or hating it all over again or something. So I thought we would just dedicate some time to that. And after the break, the main break anyway, we're going to discuss the Nintendo Direct that happened on October 1st. And uh, there was a lot of, not necessarily, well, some new information, a lot of, uh, I guess, new information within old reveals. I can put it like that. So we're mm-hmm. going to just kind of get down to what's important to us. You know, we're not, we could spend a podcast or two just describing everything that was in it and discussing it. So you're going to get kind of a uh, random assortment of thoughts and ideas there. So that all said, uh, we're going to jump into the Wind Waker discussion. And to start, we'll uh, start with the story and the plot and and what we all thought about it. Uh, I guess I don't really know where to begin, but um, one thing that you could say about this plot and Wind Waker would be surprise and probably fan service. Do you guys agree with that? Absolutely. Uh, I guess, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the general plot for those listening, uh, oh, which I guess I should probably say this now, um, we will not have any sort of spoiler warnings or anything. Um, I'm, I'm currently playing through the game again, and I haven't gotten that far through. Uh, it's been a little while since Joe's played Wind Waker. Currently, Ricky, uh, you said that you beat it, or you're right at the end? 
I'm right at the end, and I've collected most of the collectibles that are within the game. Yeah, so he's he's pretty much done almost all of it, and so we're not going to hold back on discussing some of the later story elements or uh, secrets and all that jazz. So that said, um, I still remember my reaction in, what was it, 2003, when uh, when I went down underneath the ocean, and and just everything was so surreal about that. I mean, this game made such a memory for me for uh, for that reason. But I mean the graphics and everything else were important as well, but the story was was kind of uh kind of magical. So arguably one of the biggest plot points in the game was discovering Hyrule Castle underneath the water and realizing and at that point you realize like the the whole thing just blows open. You realize that I forget if you're told this or if you figure it out, but you realize that you are in the same world as Ocarina of Time, but it's flooded, and you're hundreds of feet above the water, or above the surface, which is kind of a mind-blowing, very uh, almost biblical-type story. And uh, I think for that reason alone, this has always been one of my favorite Zelda games. And it wasn't really apparent, I mean, in general, that statement in general, of this game being one of my favorite Zelda games wasn't so apparent to me until I started replaying it. And it's not so much the HD prettiness or anything, but and maybe maybe it's the extra 10 years I've added to my life since I played this the first time. But uh, it's a pretty stellar thing to experience in terms of the lore and everything. And then to find out, of course, to go further, you find out uh, what the King of Red Lions really is and how he plays a factor into things. And I feel like Tetra was kind of not that big of a deal of a discovery. It seemed kind of yeah. an obvious one because of how the yeah. design is. Yeah, I think everyone kind of knew that right away. Do you think that that was ill-conceived, or do you think it was intentional? Um, I just think it was the kind of thing that wasn't... Um, I, I think when they were making the game, they, they wanted to have that progression of that character and even though it was going to be kind of a surprise I don't think they were really putting uh, all their eggs in the surprise basket like I don't think that was supposed to be the real takeaway was the like shock value or anything I think it was just supposed to be the progression of that character yeah they had a lot of hints leading up to it yeah and I guess in, in one respect Maybe they want you to focus on her as being Zelda because they want you to think, oh, well, how... You know, maybe it's like a Sheik thing where she knows she's Zelda, but she's just lying to you. And then you realize mm. all along, like, a much deeper surprise, which was, again, the flooded Hyrule and everything. Because the game never says that you're in Hyrule until... At least until that point. And mm. um, that's pretty amazing. And and very shocking. Probably more so than finding out that, oh, X person is Zelda, because they did kind of do that with Sheik. Mm-hmm. I don't really recall how I felt about that back in the day with Ocarina of Time. I don't feel like I was probably deceived or anything, or tricked or, or anything. I probably knew Sheik was Zelda the whole time, but... I I had no idea. Really? I mean, maybe <laughs> no, I didn't. I, I can't remember. Well, I was I was one of the very many at the time. I mean, the way I remember that point in in video game history, like people had no idea that it was Zelda. I remember even after the game, when she reveals herself as Zelda, there were people who were confused about, like, well, you know, did she, was she Sheik the whole time? Did she just dress up as Sheik at the end? And, 
when she becomes Sheik, does she like transform into another person, or is it just her in a different outfit? You know, there was all these different confusing explanations. Right. Uh, now, of course, everyone has settled on the fact that it's just Zelda with a different uniform on. But I'm at the time, I remember all sorts of confusion about that, even after people had played the game, let alone during the game. Now, you can probably argue these days, in hindsight, it's pretty damn obvious. <laughs> but at the time, I think it was very well uh, hidden, concealed. Yeah. And again, you feel that with Wind Waker, it was less concealed. Oh yeah, but yeah. intentionally. Yeah, I just don't think you were going to get away with as much of a. Um, I mean, first of all, I guess for no other reason than you just done it not that long ago. But um, when you look at Sheik, it kind of looks like a man, and you can't even even if you were just going to go by like the blonde hair or something, you just don't see that much of it. Face is almost completely covered except for the eyes, you know. There's right. really not that many clues. But when she you look like at Tetra... What's that? She looks like a boy, too. Yeah, completely. I mean, even, you know, the way they kind of, like, drew the the frame of the body and everything. Well, yeah, just, I mean, it, you know. Not that... Well, yeah, I mean, I don't really recall, but, I mean, uh, she would have had a taper pressed down, you know. And, exactly, and exactly. she's more of a just a stick figure as part to... Uh, being a little more curvaceous, not like N64 graphics made her that explicitly yeah. designed, but, <laughs> right. but that was, I mean, that's, that's an obvious decision there to mm-hmm. do exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And I think you're exactly right. I mean, I think if you, if you look at Sheik carefully, I think, you know, even if you look at like the hips, I think you, you could argue that at the very least it's a man with like some wider hips, but Generally, you're supposed to look at that and 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 think it's a it's a male. Whereas with Tetra, the clues that it's Zelda, the the connections between what Zelda would look like in this world and what Tetra looks like are just too similar. It's it's just not that much of a of a reveal. I don't think. I know that they had uh, Errol, Link's sister, and I, mm. I I remember at first thinking, well, is she supposed to be Zelda? Like. <laughs> Instead of having an actual Zelda in this game, maybe they were going to focus on his sister being important, and and really she's important only for the uh, for them to have a catalyst to start the story. Right, right. And I'll say what I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know when I first played Wind Waker. I didn't know that Tetra was going to become like pink dress, long hair Zelda. Right. I was thinking maybe this was the that was it. What you're what year did that come out? 2001? 2003, I think. Really? 2003? Okay. I, yeah, I thought maybe. I thought at I was first... in. Sorry, I thought I was a senior in high school okay. um, when I did that, and that would have been in 03, so. Sure. Or, that so. Been... Sorry, keep talking. <laughs> I'm going to look at it. <laughs> well, regardless, I thought maybe Tetra was just the 2000 whatever version of Zelda, and that they were, you know, just um, kind of evolving the character in you know visually anyway the way she dresses um but uh but no you know it turned out to just be the story of how this ragtag pirate uh becomes a magical princess right and i kind of didn't like that because it felt like once tetra officially became zelda she sort of lost a lot of personality and uniqueness and became 
comparatively bland as a character. Right, like it stripped her of what made her unique to the series. Right. Yeah, because we'd seen Zelda in that version now, half I'm not, a dozen times before. I'm not currently at that part in the HD remake, so my memory's fuzzy, but how does that affect the rest of the game from a plot standpoint, then, when she becomes Zelda and when she becomes aware of her own destiny? Uh, it doesn't really have too much of a huge overarching impact since she's kind of just waiting below the sea while you go off and get the Triforce and uh, clear some dungeons and such. But it makes the entire story-based elements of the game feel a bit more urgent and serious. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think some people would argue that that's actually a bad thing in the sense that suddenly this kind of character who's you know, pirating the seas, and she's the pretty much the one who's driving that boat or the uh, the pirate ship, and she's making the decisions with all that crew, uh, with the whole crew, and then she kind of turns into Zelda, who then sits idly and becomes an object of temptation, uh, and someone you have to protect suddenly instead of her being able to protect herself, that kind of thing. I, and I could be wrong, but I think after that point, you don't see her pirates again until the very, very end of the game. Right, like the credit sequence or whatever. You can, um, I mean, that's, of course, a completely valid interpretation, and we're treading dangerously close to tropes territory here, but, uh, you know, I would just also offer the interpretation that she becomes important at that point when she turns into Princess Zelda. When she's Tetra the pirate, she's essentially worthless in anyone's life except for hers and her crew. When she becomes Princess Zelda, she's all of a sudden the most important person in the world. Right. So, you know, there's, there's two ways of looking at it. I think, I think it's a little odd how much in story we've come to discredit, like, uh, moral authority, high ground, purity, uh, these sorts of things in favor of, like, well, but she's no longer a badass pirate. So, um, I, you know, I think if when you're Nintendo, that transformation is not supposed to be a weakening. It's supposed to be an upgrade. It's supposed to be a rags to riches thing. It's supposed to be, you know, she, she was this, you know, aimless pirate who, yes, of course, is very cool. But, you know, she kind of trades that coolness for value straight sure. up. So, and you know what? I will support that argument because I'm thinking about the ending now, and it's it's not they don't really hide the fact that it's Ganon, uh, Ganondorf as the main enemy. Uh, they, they, you you see from his like nose down, right, pretty much at the beginning of the game, and then mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure well before you even collect all the pearls, the King of Red Lions admits that Ganondorf is back, and mm-hmm. they don't know how he got out of his cell, but he's now you know, wreaking havoc and everything. And the fact that Tetra becomes Zelda at whatever point in the story, and then you go off and you kind of confront Ganon at that point, that really does heighten the whole urgency and the importance of defeating Ganon. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess they could have just randomly introduced Zelda as a separate character to do that, but I do like that she was already always part of the story and that there is some sort of destiny interplay. And, uh, now, and to be fair, if you're going to talk purely about character agency, obviously she loses that. 
when she, you know, gets taken away. Um, but the good news is she gets it back right at the very end, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, she from helped, what I know, she helps with the final boss, and then right. in the end cutscene, she goes off sailing with Link. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. That final boss. I was I was <laughs> going to mention something about it because I remember, you know, certain bits. Again, I haven't re-experienced it myself, but um, yeah, actually, we can jump kind of over to that arc a little bit uh, in in our discussion because the final boss of this game is one of the most epic things I've ever experienced in a in a video game in general, mm-hmm. let alone a Zelda game. I mean, do you guys agree or disagree with that sentiment? I might say it's my final boss in a game. Yo, your, your favorite one? Uh, yeah, I would say that. Yeah, I mean, it's so cool that she does team up with you, because I, I kind of forgot about that part until you mentioned it. But yeah, she's shooting light arrows while you, uh, you know, do your thing. And you guys have to work in tandem uh, with each other. And, uh, oh yeah, that's so good. And then the water's <laughs> rushing down and everything, and it's kind of very apocalyptic feeling, and, um, you know, there's... Now this, I, I'm not going to weigh in too much because I have not, I, I think we should make clear, I know I talked to you, Stephen, before about this, I've only actually played the game up until, um, you know better where this falls, and Ricky, I'm sure you know, having just played it, but with the, uh, the bird girl, when she, um, accompanies you into the dungeon. Oh, shoot, that's right, buddy. <laughs> What's that? Um, I said, that's right, I forgot you didn't mention that. Right, um, so I've only played up to that point. I've watched no, the final battle. Okay, thank God. So you're not hating me right now. No, 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 no. But I, so I, but I can't speak to how it feels to experience it. It looks amazing. It feels as it looks. You, you really don't see it coming. It just sort of like like the very last blow. It just sort of comes out of nowhere, and it's really surprising. Yeah, I mean, if you want to focus on that last blow, uh, that's a good, that's a big deal, right? I mean, because really that's is. like unprecedented in Zelda games. It's one of the most violent things I've seen in a Zelda game for sure. In a Nintendo game, it's yeah. Period. There you go, and it's in the cartoony <laughs> Nintendo mm. game. You know, the, one of the most cartoony Nintendo games. Yep. I wonder if they decided to put that in after the negative response when they revealed the graphic style. Everyone was saying it was Kitty, and then, oh yeah, well look how Ganondorf dies. I would hope that that's not the case, because I wouldn't want them to react to the fans like that. Because right. they shouldn't really win with that kind of mentality. Uh, from my own per- perspective. but um, I-, I probably agree with that, Stephen, but I could see it being possible. I don't know. It really depends on if they would have had enough time between release and the full reception of the of the fan opinion. But I don't know. That'd be an interesting interview question for people involved. Yeah, I wonder game. if it's if it's ever been mentioned yeah. on previous because you know Nintendo especially has had their uh, Awada asks, and I don't know if they did one for Wind Waker. I don't remember anyone posting it. Do I don't think they did. No, that's kind of a bummer. That's kind of a missed opportunity. It'd be kind of cool to go back and discuss with uh, with those. Oh, not me personally, of course, but just just to hear them talk about the game and perhaps how things have changed for them now that they've had to go back and and refresh it. True. Maybe yeah. maybe it instills some sort of uh, wishful thinking on on their part as far as what they should have done or could have done 
you know. Hmm. It, it seemed like when Al Numa was talking about the changes he made to the game, he seemed kind of disappointed in how it turned out. And, like, he, he seems to feel that he could have done better, which I don't really agree with. Hmm. Did he just, get... just hearing him talk about it. Did he get more specific at all, or did he just kind of say blanket disappointment? Uh, he didn't outright say disappointment, but just sort of the, the things he said, and like how he talked about how he feel like the pacing towards the end turned pretty poor. I, I get the sense that he was a bit disappointed. Yeah, I mean, the pacing in general was always a controversy. Especially when we found out, too, that there was two dungeons cut out. And I don't know what about March to, uh, well, I think it came out in December in Japan, but March in, and it was, oh yeah, I did confirm that, Joe, by the way, it was March, uh, 23rd in, uh, in America, uh, 2003. Hmm. And I, you know, I don't know what the, what the landscape was as far as release schedules and stuff, but I remember, you know, kind of feeling cheated a little bit, I guess, because we're so used to these eight dungeon Zeldas back from Link to the Past, or, well, back from the original, they had eight dungeons. And, you know, Wind Waker has what? They have the, you know, well, sorry, I know I know on the podcast I tend to, like, say one sentence and continue another, so I apologize to the listeners for that, but uh, I just realized this just yesterday, like, I re-experienced it. I got the third pearl from Jaboon, and then I went and unlocked the uh, the Tower of Terror, or whatever the heck it's called. <laughs> um... But uh, the first two pearls you earn in very much a similar light to earning the uh, the different stones in Ocarina of Time. But then you go through this small little segment where you uh, you spy on the, the pirates and you discover they have the bombs. And then you go uh, win the bombs from a random challenge in their boat because their they're swabby is kind of an idiot, but he also has a kind of man crush on you. <laughs> and so it gives you the bombs when you do uh, the task he asks. And then Tetra, she was watching you the whole time because of that stone, and she's just like, oh, aren't you clever? Okay, take him. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and then you go to Jabuni, you talk to him, and he's like, oh, sorry, I was talking another language. My, my apologies. And uh, then after that, he says, oh, well, you know, you're pure of heart. Here, take it. And he just gives you the third one, which probably was one of the areas where they cut a dungeon. At least it feels like that. And it feels even worse after they set up this formula, like, do a dungeon, get a pearl, do a dungeon, get a pearl. Have right. the third one, no dungeon. Yeah, and no Zelda games around that time, before or after, repeated, pretty much. So, it just felt so out of the norm, like a black sheep. And then you go into the tower, and, and I always remember the tower being kind of where the game started losing me in the original. I mean, I, I did love the game in general. It kind of had its highs and lows. But I did kind of always feel that the dungeons were not my favorite part of the game. Since there was so little substance in comparison to other Zeldas, and in comparison to their dungeon amounts and, and vastness, it, it just felt very disappointing. And going into it now, I do feel differently. Uh, I think because, again, as I get older, I have less time for games. I kind of want to experience more of the story and kind of get more of the game accomplished in one sitting than before. And uh, so I kind of appreciate the shorter aspect of the Zelda. And that's, that's here. But yeah, that definitely wasn't always the case. Yeah, and I feel like I feel like it kind of works well in both ways because some people want Zelda to be a bit shorter, and it works if you just go through the dungeons. But then there's also enough side content that if you want to have a 
30, 40, 50 hour game, you can still do that if you choose to get all the heart pieces and clear off all the charts and find all of those things. Yeah. And I'm definitely trying to do that right now. Uh, heart piece wise, I, I'm not using a guide or anything to make sure I don't miss any, but I mean, I might to complete it later, but I'm definitely trying to, uh, whenever I get a hint of a, a mini game or a, uh, a task that I could do, um, I try to do it. In fact, I spent uh, two nights ago, I was fighting uh, Orca to get to a thousand hits. Oh, that was so he'd call me master, but um, at 500 he gives you the heart piece, and so I just figured what the hell. And so I focused on that for a while, and I did achieve it. Um, so, that, you know, that was cool, but I, I am trying to get the heart pieces, and uh, what else did you just say? The heart pieces and the, um, the, treasure, the, charts. the treasure charts. Yeah, and I'm doing the same thing there. There was like that battle squid. I, I don't know what it's actually called, but on the internet it's referenced as battle squid. It's, it's, it's called the big octo. The big octo? Right. Okay, wow. Um, Thank goodness we have Ricky here. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he knows the game uh, more specifically than I, I do, that's for sure. That's good. Um, but uh, I, I continued to play that after getting... I think, I think it's a heart piece initially, but I saw online... Um, that after like beating it a second or third time, you get the treasure chart, and it's like, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna start doing this for that. Oh, I'm I'm sorry, I was wrong. Then I thought you were talking about the giant squids. Oh no no no, um, my bad. I think I remember what you're talking about, but no, I'm talking about just kind of really early on in the game where you're pretty much playing battleship. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I, I thought you were talking about the squid. Sorry. Okay. Um, but regardless, I mean, battle squid's a pretty cla- a classy name. Um, although it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, I guess to jump into that really quick, uh, how do you guys feel about the mini games in general in this game? Because there's there's quite a few of them. There's there's uh, the Battle Squid. You're talking about Sploosh Guy, right? Yeah, I love Sploosh Guy <laughs> with his <laughs> cutouts and everything. Well, I love how he's just like uh, clinically depressed, mm-hmm. running this game, and just has all this like fake enthusiasm when you do something right or and what a weird like awesome. decision to have a clinically depressed guy run I, I uh, love that that's so funny I think he's so funny when he showed up in um, I guess I haven't played spirit tracks yet but he was in um, Phantom Hourglass yeah and when he showed up there my wife and I were like yes <laughs> we were but you so were more cool. like yeah right <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, that is, yeah, that is kind of a that's such a quirky character. I do like him too. Again, with his with his cutouts, and he really could just give a shit less. Kaboom! <laughs> and actually, I just found him too because uh, he he shows up again. He shows up first on, I think it's Windfall. Yeah, right. Windfall Island, and then he actually is out on a small island somewhere in the sea, and he uh, runs a mini game where you actually use bombs to more or less shoot them at, at different angles to hit uh, barrels. That one's that one's a lot better than Battle Squid. It, it is, but in a, like I I wish Battle Squid was deeper because I do like it. Um, but it's frustrating because it is pretty much random. Even yeah. even though there is a little bit of deduction going on when you finally hit something, there were so many times where I just simply missed one because you don't have enough shots to really force. Uh, the grid to um, to run out of spots to hide these things. Yeah, and you uh, can't just deduce it. Yeah, only to a point. And so that can be really frustrating. the The other one, 
um, that I was just mentioning, that's a bit more actual skill. I was able to be like, okay, I'm at 38 degrees. Let me try 42, and then and then you know, of course, you have to sway left and right, and uh, there's a lot more. It's a lot more skill based as opposed to randomness. Yep. When you win that one, then uh, the mask guy he puts on the Tetra mask. He puts his hands on his hips and tries to act attractive, and that just disturbs <laughs> him so much. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, such an interesting way for Nintendo to go, but I appreciate it. It's memorable, and we're talking about it now, you know? I mean, it's much better than if it was just some guy who had no distinct personality and... and yeah, classic RPG NPC. Yeah. Right. You know? I mean, if if they wanted to do that, might as well just, uh, you know, have had it be a wall with, like, a note. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, and you know, a random interjection. Um, I like the fact that Nintendo hides little things everywhere. And I know that this is just about rupees in this case, but when you're done playing Battle Squid, or even before, you can actually jump up on the Battle Squid, walk behind it, and there's just some rupees there. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of um, Ocarina of Time, where when you're in that first shop back in Kokiri uh, Forest, and if you go, there's like that weird little hallway off to the side, and you don't actually have to ever go there, but if you do you realize that I think there's like a 20 rupee or something like that. Just something small, nothing major. But it's there. They didn't. They could have just made that a flat wall, but instead they just made it this little nook to explore. And I think that's why Nintendo's so damn good at making their games fun for exploration. Mm. To me, mm-hmm. that's a Nintendo quality that isn't unseen in other companies and other games and other consoles, but Nintendo explicitly is that way, and that's why not to jump into our uh, Nintendo Direct discussion, but looking at the Super Mario 3D World trailer again and being reminded of what green stars are and everything, it's it makes me so excited for that game because you know a, a pure Nintendo game distilled to its purest has just tons of things to discover and a lot of like ooh moments, you know, where you're mm-hmm. just kind of smiling and, and discovering. And mm-hmm. I feel the most gratification out of that. Yeah, it's a lot better than just being you unlocked an achievement. Right. And I, and I kind of like achievements to some degree, but yeah, I mean, they don't really compare to, to this. And uh, I'm, much, I'm much happier having the, tri- uh, the treasure charts as, you know, as what they are, as opposed to like a, just an achievement like, oh, you found the treasure token, you know, number four. Uh, I like the fact that you get them and then you actually can discover something way out in the ocean. The fact that there's like so much stuff under that ocean really kind of geeks me out. And I don't mm. currently have the... Uh, the crane, uh, I forget where I get that functionality at, but it's killing me to see these stupid light rings that I just want to get, and I can't. You, you get know. the crane when you get the uh, grappling hook. Ah, that's right. Right. Yeah, because when you get the bombs, then you can start shooting them, so it applies it that way. Okay. Wait, wait, so the grappling hook is the thing you get in the first place, right? Right. Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I've been playing for like a dungeon and a half without realizing that I could do that. I... I didn't have it mapped to a button, so I didn't think about it. I'll be <laughs> damned. Well, actually, um, it's mapped to the D-pad. Really? So I just had to hit the D-pad? Right. I'm a D-bag. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are making me want to go play right now and collect some stuff. But uh, I, I, this isn't, well, okay, let's, let's go to this part of the discussion then. Um, the islands, the ocean, and the Triforce charts. And, oh, and the mm. treasure charts, just everything about that. How do you guys feel about the fact that they, you know, unprecedentedly uh, change the formula by changing you from land 
to see. I mean, it was something that hadn't been done before. How do you guys feel that they pulled it off? Would you like to see it again? Go. Um, I, I think they executed it really well, and I like the concept of um, taking something familiar like Zelda, but then adding new twists, such as the sailing in the ocean. In the original game, when you were sailing, you would have to pause the game to look at your charts and your maps. Right. But then, in the Wii U version, if you're using the gamepad, while you're sailing, you can look at the map and plan where you're going to go next, or compare charts yeah, it's a godsend. To, uh, maps that have been drawn, and um, read your Tingle message bottles from Meverse, and it just gives you so much more to do while you're sailing instead of just staring at the screen. You know, I was doing that without realizing that that's a damn good point. I, I, I took it for granted, you know. But you collect these uh, Tingle ch- um, Tingle bottles often, you know, because they just kind of show up. So you could be in the middle of anywhere, far away from from an island or a shore. And you'll come across and you just kind of collect it like anything. But yeah, you can check them while you're sailing. So essentially, you can use Meverse while playing Wind Waker and, you know, during <laughs> those boring parts of sailing. And, uh, and then if you get the Swift Sail, which uh, I'm sure you did, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got that first thing, uh, first chance I could. And it just allows you, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, the Swift Sail is an extra item they added into the game. And what you do is essentially it replaces your, well, it doesn't really replace your sail, but. It allows you to speed up your sailing by around double, and it also kicks in, uh, well, how do I say this? When you have the normal sail, you have to use the Wind Waker to actually change the wind in whatever direction you want, but that's kind of honestly gone from the game now, because whenever you want to change the wind, you just kick on the, uh, the swift sail, and it'll put it into whatever direction you're facing, so you never have to fight the wind when you're in that mode. So, of course, if you wanted to go slower to be a little more accurate, for instance, of where you're trying to go, you can just kick on the swift sail for two seconds, direct your boat, and then go. And it stays that way. So it's a pretty sweet addition. And, uh, and it cuts down on the time you, you do sail. But again, like, uh, like Ricky just said, there's, there's more to do while you're sailing as well. In fact, I've definitely been looking at the, the gamepad and almost hitting like an Octorok in the sea <laughs> and stuff like that. Not realizing that it's there. But uh, I guess what I'll say about the ocean is that it's probably one of my favorite changes to the formula that they've ever done. And I'm not going to go ahead and say that Phantom Hourglass even went further, because I feel like Phantom Hourglass was not as successful of a Zelda game overall. But I really do like the the ocean mechanic. It's To me, it kind of separates the world in the same way that Mario Galaxy separates the levels. Like in Mario Galaxy, having the planetoids be just the random, you know, thing, it can be whatever the designers want it to be at that time. They're not restricted to some sort of world that they have to adhere to. And of course, there's a certain aesthetic that you have to apply to the Wind Waker islands, but you can have one island be, you know, some crazy uh, lava volcano, then the next one's some ice volcano, or not volcano, but some ice island. You got another one that's got some wind pushing you and you can't even get into it. And then you've got one that's just got a grotto and some trees, and then you've got um, one with a statue, then one with a, a private oasis or a private mansion or whatever it's called. Uh, you have a lot of variety, and you can separate it, which makes every discovery all the more exciting because you don't know what the heck you're going to find. I mean, that's that's one of the greatest things that they did as far as the ocean's concerned. You can't really do that with Hyrule Field from Ocarina of Time or Twilight Princess. And what's nice is that a lot of the time, unless you're actively 
trying to map out every island, you might see something new every time you play. Sure. And actually, that was my experience initially with the game. And right now, I'm I'm buying tons of food and I'm feeding that fish, uh, so I can you know have him say "Hoy, small fry," <laughs> and uh, which he's like one of my favorite characters from Zelda. Game. <laughs> yeah. Love if it. I, if I could spell that, I'd make that the title of the episode. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, we don't have audio titles. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's just such a damn treat to explore. I think. In a way that uh, that Skyward Sword really failed, I was so excited for Skyward Sword in the sense that the sky was going to be the new ocean, that there was going to be all these little islands of floating in the sky that you could explore, and there were, but it was significantly reduced compared to the kind of uh, discovery that was found in Wind Waker. And say what you will about the rest of the game, but Skyward Sword that was one of the few places I felt it lacked significantly. I think it was a little different. Um... A little more difficult to make it like, um, like when you traverse the sky in Skyward Sword, I feel like there wasn't really a sense of just wandering, just exploring, just meandering and stumbling upon new and exciting things as was possible in Wind Waker and, um, Phantom Hourglass. But, uh, I think it was just, uh, for better or worse, more direct. Like you just, it was more like there's a spot that I haven't been, and I'm gonna go straight there, and which with- sort of defeats the purpose to some extent of having this big, huge, expansive, open area to explore. But it is what it is. And with Skyward Sword, there aren't really any caves or anything on the islands, and. The only way you can get treasures is you find one of those goddess cubes on the ground and then set it up, and it's marked directly on your map exactly where it mm-hmm. is, straight there. Yeah, yeah. Now, why do you think that they did that, then? I mean, is that the equivalent of the shining light in the ocean uh, with the tingle chart kind of thing? Or is it more or less a cheap way to get you to explore the sky, which was lacking? I just think, I mean, didn't a lot of people not enjoy the ambiguous directions of of the of the water in um Wind Waker maybe i mean i kind of feel like that was a criticism but i don't personally mm. feel that for myself and i i have a hard time understanding why oh yeah that was no, of so course not. so um and i agree with you yeah and yeah. i agree with you personally i'm just i that's my best guess. As so, so you're thinking maybe that. Skyward Sword was meant to streamline that concept? That's my guess. Yeah. That's my guess. And in a way, that's kind of cool. I mean, I just love when I unlock something and now I can go explore that area again and see something new. Mm-hmm. I think with Skyward Sword, one of the issues might have been um, the fact that... How do I word this? You know, you. I mean, you're right about the fact that there's like a weird sense of... Well, the, the exploration sense is reduced in some weird way, mm-hmm. where you're kind of just flying in in whatever you know direction you're going. Does the map reveal itself when you go into certain areas at first, or is it just all exposed in the sky? Yeah. Hmm. I can't recall, but I feel like I can't remember now. Like one of the exciting things about oh, go ahead, Ricky. It's all exposed. There's just one area that you can't get to until you get to a certain point in the story mm. that's blocked off, and yeah, then all okay. of it's marked once you go there. Yeah, yeah. When you go inside, it's the um, kind of like the big tornado type thing. 
Yeah. The Thunderdome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what they call it. <laughs> Link, you must go to the Thunderdome. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> uh, um, and yeah, I, I think that that also was a detriment to Skyward Sword because with Wind Waker, I love revealing the the ocean. Um, it's so cool. I remember it, again, me and my half sentences. I uh, started this game, the HD version, by actually setting out to just get those map pieces. Uh, as, as soon as I could, mainly. I mean, I'm not really trying to unlock what's within those. I know that's best done when you have most of the items. But uh, in the first run of it, I remember, you know, playing much of the game and getting to the end and just not knowing any better. So I didn't really try too hard. And then, whether I beat Ganon or not at the time, I just remember realizing I, uh, you know, that, oh, there's that corner that I totally uh, didn't know about before, didn't try to explore. It's still waiting out there for me. It's it's as exciting uh, for me as like hearing a rabbit chew. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> nobody's gonna get that. I'm not. See gonna now the listeners out. aren't gonna get that. No, I don't care. I'm not even gonna ex- uh, reference. We're not gonna further. explain it. No. All right. Okay. Cool. Um, It'll be a mystery for the ages. Just say it's a bunny hood reference. I don't know. Um, I did want to say since you wanted you, know, you wanted part of this discussion to be comparisons to Skyward Sword and um, other Zelda games, I personally. Even though the exploration suffered, I just enjoyed flying around in Skyward Sword a lot more than than sailing. Um, yeah, than sailing. I, I, it's just I think it could be as simple as whether or not you're like a boat person or a, or a plane person or something. You know, like some people just enjoy the sea and the majesty of the open waves and all, all that. But to me, I mean, nothing beats the friggin loft wings and uh and you know doing those little those little skydiving sessions to get to get where you're going that was just so friggin cool well and there's also a, a correlation to the uh the loft wing that link has in that game and the king of red lions they're both red true and true. kind of distinctly colored to be the same which is kind of a nice touch god i love nintendo for that Yep, yep, yep. Because I don't think that's an accident either. No. Oh, I think very few things in Zelda games are honestly an accident. I think, (laughs) I think how they connect to each other might be somewhat accidental or somewhat after the fact. Like, oh, you know, let's explain that now with this. Well, and I think we're we're right on point because I have to imagine the fact that the Zelda logo has always had those that bird in it. Yeah. And yet it took until the, you know, sixteenth game in the series or whatever Skyward Sword is for them to finally really have birds as an important part of the right. part of the setting. So. And, and yeah, you know, who knows if that was an intentional, you know, wait for whatever reason or if, uh, or, I mean, because I can't imagine that, or I would imagine that they had the idea for Skyward Sword well in advance to its creation, but just didn't have the technology ever to support a game like that. Mm. I mean, imagine them trying to do that with the N64 hardware. I mean, you're getting Pilot Wings, but in Pilot, yep. and Pilot Wings was a pretty good game. In fact, the 64 version, I think, is the better version of the two. Uh, but you didn't have the robust engine and, and the graphical fidelity to really make that amaze you. You know, it probably would have looked more like Superman than uh, oh, Skyward Sword. You know, there'd be oh, a magical boy. rings the Skyloft had to go through and nice. and Ganon gas. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah oh i i forgot even where this conversation was going now but uh, um, I, 
I have something interesting to add about. Please do. We'll be the judge of that. Yeah, and yeah, do not feel that you need to ask uh, anything. Just <laughs> okay. say "shut sure. the fuck up." <laughs> um, if you were to take all of the islands that are um related to main locations from Ocarina of Time in some way, such as the Kokairi Forest and the Forest Haven, um, Forsaken Fortress and Grotto Valley, geographically, they're all in the same space and in the same sort of regions, like um the Zora or the Rita or to the west, the Kokairi or the Koroks are to the south, no Hyrule is central. What? That's awesome. I had no idea. Yeah, I think I think I was made aware of, of that kind of, like, uh, well, you know, obviously intention. Um, with Twilight Princess, when I was playing the, the backwards version, and people were complaining about how, <laughs> you know, things were actually not in the place that they probably should be. And that was, of course, because I was playing on the Wii. Um, although I don't really remember the maps that well, so I could be talking on my ass. But, but uh, I, I, you know, to, t- to touch on this a little bit, people complain about the timeline quite a bit. And, and rightfully so. It's kind of a cluster. And, uh, you know, th- that book that, that was released, that's actually like right next to my leg right now, um, kind of gave a timeline for the fans, but... Um, it kind of makes you makes you wonder, like, I don't. They they do things like you know putting the placement in the in the same spot as previous games, and it makes you feel the urge to connect the dots. Then you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. They don't make them distinct yeah. enough from each other to to kind of warrant ignoring the fact that they should be related. But then they also tell us, oh no, they're not related at all. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like a like a jerk move, like kind of messing messing with us, jerking us around. And I think that all stems probably, just for a random hypothesis, from the fact that they never intended it to be that way. Right. But then after the first couple of games, you're like, oh, you know what? We have a franchise on our hands. We probably should connect the lore. We have some cleaning up to do. Like, mm-hmm. Lucy, you know, you didn't, <laughs> you didn't uh, explain the game connections. <laughs> yeah. And, it- uh... In the end, the official timeline was probably worse than what any fan could have come up with. Yeah, yeah. it really that was like the uh, the overall sentiment for sure. Yeah, people had yeah. and people had these single timeline theories that actually like mostly made sense. And then Nintendo goes and does the whole uh, yeah, Link dies. Yeah. Is, how can he? How can he die and simultaneously save Zelda and make the the split that leads to adult and time and child timeline? I, I mean, we're we're literally discussing yeah. time paradoxes here. No, that right? that was a um, hypothetical question. Yeah, <laughs> and it's you know it's one of those things where I just end up saying you know putting my arms up and saying, well, uh, right, it's a time paradox, so who cares? Because what what makes Ocarina of Time Link his death more important than uh, anyone else's? Why doesn't the timeline yeah. split after right. each death? Right. And now maybe guess, he's the only one who ever loses. He's the suckiest Link. <laughs> so wow, that wouldn't that be something? <laughs> um, the hero of time is the worst Link. Yeah, he's the he's the fail Link. The one the one that everyone probably loves the most. Yeah, and I mean, I guess I always justify that too, is because the fact that he is the time traveler, that his death and being unable to go back in time or whatever complete the cycle would have an effect that would ripple and split. I mean, we can get into Back to the Future territory here and all that kind of jazz. Um, mm-hmm. Biff Gannon totally would be quite a, a horrible <laughs> foe to uh, <laughs> to come across but um, I don't I don't really try to think about that stuff nearly as much as I used to 
Mm-hmm. I remember when Ocarina of Time did come out, and there was that rumor about the Triforce being an Ocarina of Time. My old buddy and I, we uh, we spent hours and hours and hours, days and days, like looking up theories online, and um, we had like a map of Hyrule, and, and and again, this is all intentional to what like Ricky was just saying. If you take like where Princess Zelda is, which is Hyrule Castle, and then you take where Ganon supposedly is kind of born, like the Gerudo, you take the desert, and then you take uh, where Link's from in the Kokiri Forest. If you connect those into a triangle. It's not the exact center, and it really depends on what map you're looking at, because on some maps it's been correct, and on others it's kind of been skewed. But uh, the Temple of Time is kind of right in that center point of the triangle, hmm. which is kind of a neat thing. And again, I don't know how really intentional that is, because you really could take any three points on that map and kind of create... Pro- probably, to a point, you could take uh, a lot of points. I yeah. use that word point too much. But you could do that in a bunch of different ways and still probably get the same result, so it's probably not necessarily that intentional. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but man, we spent forever thinking up like theories and like, oh, you know, the Triforce has got to be in the Temple of Time. So then we'd hang out in the Temple of Time and we'd like try to figure out how to like, you know, wall clip and try to maybe it's behind uh-huh. the wall. And there's that stupid video which we didn't realize at the time was from a beta version of the game where Link finds the Triforce and then there's also like Stalfos and everything that mm-hmm. he's fighting. And we're like, oh, that's proof from Japan. You know, back before we realized, oh, that's just a beta version it means nothing <laughs> um, and and then we got really pissed that Nintendo didn't put the Triforce in there because they're like what the hell man <laughs> as if we really had any sort of you know uh, I don't know I forget what the phrase is but um, any sort of justification yeah or just uh, yeah why would they have to do that for us but we felt yeah. so so entitled I guess is the yeah, way to yeah, say yeah. it yep. it was just funny that's fun, though. Stuff yeah. like that is fun. Oh, yeah. I mean, I haven't done that kind of crap ever since I kind of grew up, you know? It's- yeah, don't have to with the internet. Now you just, like, Google Triforce and Wind Waker. Oh, it's not. Pretty much, yeah. It kind of... The internet does spoil uh, a lot of things in that regard. Mm-hmm. When it was first young... When it was a young internet, it uh, it was more about, you know, discovery, and now it's more about just ruining your, your hopes and dreams. <laughs> Eh, kind of, yeah. You know, now you go to, like, a YouTube video uh, that says, like, Triforce and Ocarina of Time, and it's just going to be, like, troll, 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 or, <laughs> or you know, kill yourself, or whatever, you know, It'll just be flashing <laughs> text on the screen. <laughs> because people are jerks. But, so. Yep. But, so, okay, so we have our, um, you know, we don't have much time left to talk about the game, because we're going to move on to our other topic. Uh, so I want to hit a few more points. This game... Especially now, well, not especially now. I've always loved this part of it, but the music is freaking amazing. Yeah, it is. I mean, it might be my favorite part of the whole game itself. Like the Celtic theme was so original for for a Zelda thing, and that's what's weird too. Is I mean, Celtic. I think I don't have that much of a knowledge of the Celtic background and everything, but uh, and not all the songs are Celtic or anything, but some of them are. And I don't really think of like islands and and tropical because I feel like there's a tropical feel to the Wind Waker a little bit and I don't match that with Celtic thoughts right of course you know yeah, I mean yeah. I think more of a cold uh, Irish type thing you know um, I mean that is correct right I'm not, mm-hmm. okay thank you <laughs> I am Irish I should know this better uh, but somehow the, the the two you know the visual style and the uh, the music kind of com- combine into something pretty uh, amazing and the Wind Waker credits is still my favorite uh, 
song from any Nintendo game, I think. I think I can huh. say that with confidence. Huh. Uh, an interesting bit of trivia is that in the music for Outset Island, within that, there are the first few notes of the music from Kokairi Forest. Huh. Really? Yeah, it's like it's kind of hard to explain with words, but if you were to listen to it, I'm sure you'd be able to identify it. Yeah. Huh. I should do that next time I go to Outset. And I think Zelda's theme is also thrown in there, too. Yeah, so it's more of those little touches that they've done, you know, to, again, link the games together, no pun intended. Ooh. (laughs) I really didn't mean that pun at all (laughs) until it came out of my mouth, but... I don't know, you mean a lot of puns. I do, that one wasn't one of them, though. (laughs) One of the hints that Tetra is Zelda is that you can hear Zelda's theme um, a couple times during when you first meet Tetra on Outside Island. Oh, nifty. interesting. I'm already past that part, so I can't, like, re-see that. But uh, maybe I could YouTube it and check it out, because uh, yeah, that'd be cool. I didn't pay that close attention to that. Hmm. So the game just, it does telegraph things, I guess, a little bit, which makes it just all the more crafty. But it's, you got to be someone who, I mean, you're a, you know, like, dedicated Nintendo fan, and you didn't even catch it. Right. So you got to, like, really paying attention. It's not like... Hitting, hitting you over the head with it. Or am I just not a Nintendo fan? Maybe I'm an imposter. Could be. You might be an insidious plant from Sony. Oh, to... I thought you were going to make like a Little Shop of Horrors reference when you said plant. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, anyway, the music is just fantastic. And I've been listening to it at work a little bit. And um, refusing to listen to the later tracks because I want to re-experience those all over again in the game itself. But I've been listening to the title screen and and some of the earlier songs, and they're not all winners. They're not, I don't think any of them are bad, but none of them really hit me in the same way that... Well, most of them don't hit me in the same way that the end credits do. But that end credits song does hold a lot of weight. But overall, uniformly, I think it's a great soundtrack that really fits the game itself. I think a lot of Zelda games actually have that as an attribute. I think music tends to be done pretty well in Zelda games. Yes. Pretty much all Nintendo games. Yeah, I could... I mean, I'm sure there's examples that, you know, people right now are shouting at us <laughs> to uh, contradict that point, but I mean, Nintendo. Well, I would love to hear about them. Yeah, you can hit us up on the thread associated with this episode mm-hmm. uh, when it comes out. But Nintendo does have a really strong sound department, I think. One that kind of gets underrated. I mean, on the Euphonic uh, 3 podcast that we just finished, that um, was kind of brought up, the fact that I think some Nintendo songs should really have uh, a presence outside of the video game world. I think that um, some of them are so well-written and so well-executed that really they should be you know, praised beyond just the video game medium, kind of like the way that classical music can be praised by, you know, Rihanna. I mean, she could even like that, you know... I, <laughs> I would like it if if other people in the music world or other people who don't even play video games could hear this music and appreciate it for what it is, as opposed to, oh, that's a Zelda song, but just think, oh, that's a great song. Right, right, right. Yeah, right. And and this kind of stems from from a friend of mine who, I love her to death. She's she's one of my oldest friends, and she's very talented. She she plays like a billion instruments. She's actually got a music career out in New York, and uh, she's quite fantastic. But... It offended me growing up with her because 
she used to kind of shit on the fact that, you know, Nintendo music as if it wasn't real music. And I was like, that's kind of snobbish. Mm. And I, I could, I had a hard time articulating that to her, but I just could repeat myself and say, that's kind of an unfair look at Nintendo music. Cause she kind of assumed it was, you know, the bleeps and bloops and you know, do, 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 like it just kind of stupid yeah. notes, but that's just the limitation of the hardware that's, or the soundware. That's literally just uh, an instrument like a theremin. Right. People go crazy over theremin videos on YouTube now, you know, <laughs> because yeah. this is the world we live in. But, uh, over the years, she's slowly grown to appreciate video game music to a point. I mean, you're not going to find her listen to the Etrian Odyssey 4 soundtrack, but uh, she did surprise me once when she got her mandolin. Uh, one of the first sh- songs she learned was the uh, Super Mario Brothers theme, and mm. she played it for me, and I was so geeked. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think the you know the Super Mario Brothers theme and, and so much of the music from Zelda. I mean, when you when you look at it from a purely music theory perspective there's just a lot of sophisticated stuff going on there that is not really typical of the 8-bit era i mean a lot of the music it was very very hit and miss i mean a lot of a lot of companies just didn't really put that much passion into their songwriting you know they were some sometimes they were satisfied with two measures that would just repeat over and over again because they were like they were just like, fuck it, ship the game. <laughs> you know? Like, who cares? No one's going to be listening anyway. But, uh, I, you know, I remember when I went to learn um, an old band I used to play in did the Mario theme. And because we had a keyboardist and a, I played the bass and I had a drummer, so it kind of lent itself. And I remember when I went to learn the bass part and realized just how, like, disconnected it is from the melody, which that's like a just a more advanced songwriting when you can have two separate themes that then sort of meld together so well i don't know i it is it's it's hard to describe in words but but yeah i was i was very impressed i mean that that kind of stuff doesn't happen by accident to turn the topic from kind of the uh the theme song and the uh the background music to the fact that music again is a factor in this game in the same way that the ocarina was a factor in ocarina of time they use another instrument this time you know a composer's uh wand or whatever it would be called um how do you guys feel about that inclusion do you think that it could have been done differently in some other form and if so what would that be or do you think it's kind of cool to be conducting in midair for no reason really at all but to change the wind that's kind I, of a weird concept. I really wouldn't have preferred it to be a different instrument. Like, I think it's okay the way it is. But in terms of a gameplay device, I feel it's inferior to the ocarina. Because I don't really find myself just pulling it out and making random songs like I would do with the ocarina and Majora's Mask and Ocarina of Time. Right. There were certain, uh, again, like Angel Fire pages. I mean, this is ancient internet here. Uh, of people posting their own songs. So like, this. here you can play the Simpsons theme. Or you can do this and that. I actually somewhere have a printout of those songs still that I've just kept in a drawer, you know. And uh, you can't, yeah, you can't do that really with the, with the bow, or the uh, the wand or whatever it's called. Hmm. Do you feel that it's a trope that should be repeated just for classic sake in future games? Because Skyward Sword didn't have that or anything really, did they? They had the harp. No, oh, there was. But Link played the harp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really? Wow, that totally left my mind. <laughs> uh, it wasn't that free. Like it was no? really restricted. Okay. 
And I know that um, Twilight Princess had the grass you could blow, and then you could kind of adjust the uh, the howling sounds and stuff. But I don't think there's anything as distinct as the Ocarina in there either. Right? Um, The Spirit Flute was the second best alternative. Uh, but I didn't feel like that worked that well because of the touch screen. Yeah. Like, I think it, it, it had some falls. It was a cool idea. I just remember having an issue with actually blowing into my microphone while also moving the thing to get the notes right. There was like one part of the game that was uh, very tricky for that. Uh, I guess, you know, we're kind of running into our hour here. Is there anything else you guys want to add about Wind Waker? We didn't even talk about the cell shading graphics or anything. Um, which has been kind of... talked about enough, probably. Yeah. Yeah, it's had about 10 years. I mean, I will say... I guess my last comments on the subject will be that the HD remake is quite a fantastic product, and we just learned too that they only spent six months doing it, mm. which I guess actually, honestly, it sounds surprising. I guess, but it, I mean, the game, the core game, existed. I don't know how hard it was to upres everything, and uh, the new inclusions which they added, such as the Swift Sail or altering the the quest to only require I think three Triforce charts as opposed to the eight. Um, those things, you know, may or may not have taken that long, but plus they had to put Big the Cat in the game. The what? Big the Cat. Oh yeah, playable, yeah. playable character. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so that took a while. Yeah, like that was probably like four months. Right I there. wonder how many of our listeners are at that point in the game yet. <laughs> Hope I didn't spoil it for too many of them. Uh, I I don't know. You're an asshole for doing that though. <laughs> um, so everyone know that that he just spoiled the biggest Zelda spoiler ever. Anyway, uh, what was I saying now before you uh, totally segged me? Derail. Yeah, you. Well, that's what. Yeah, that's what segged mean means from now on. <laughs> You've been segged, <laughs> which actually has no relationship to it. Like that's almost unfair. Right now, Sega's gonna call yeah. me up and be like, "Hey, that's kind of that's yep. uh, slander or." Yep. Um, Liable. Or liable, thank you. Yeah. I think it is slander, though. Is it? I don't know. I should know this. One's written, one's spoken. Uh, well, I'm going to write it and say it, so I'll be uh, screwed either way. There you go. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, so they did a lot of great improvements, and the game looks beautiful in HD. I know I'm... I, I never I never was, and I never really will be a graphics whore, but man, upgrading my TV last October, a year ago now... Um, from my 20-inch CRT to beautiful Samsung 40-inch. And, I mean, I could go bigger if I had more space, but the 40-inch itself was just mind-blow. Like, I'm so glad that I went HD with Nintendo, and I'm financially, I'm glad that they waited till I was ready. Uh, Which, by the way, that was what they did. We were in talks, and I'm the reason that I, that the the whole thing was held back. Oh, well. Um, Yeah. And actually... A lot uh, of people angry with you. It was my idea for the, uh, the Wii Remote, too. So hope you weren't pissed about that. Interesting. Um, I was like, "Hey, Nintendo, I love wagging." <laughs> yep. I could have taken that much <laughs> to a darker place, but I will not. <laughs> that was I'll before live... you had a girlfriend, right? <laughs> <laughs> so they've done a, gr- a bunch of great things, and my girlfriend, she uh, she's never experienced Wind Waker before, and she actually borrowed a friend's copy, uh, but never got around to playing it. And I'm trying to talk her into just buying the HD. Wii, uh, Wii U version, because it, it is the definitive version at this point. Mm. Um, I was looking back at some videos on YouTube, and the resolution is just kind of hard to look at now. It's, it's so unfair, you know? 
I've had this game for only two weeks or a week or whatever. Um, you know, do you think that, because uh, I know they kind of change the, it's a little bit less flat, it's a little bit less celly. Yeah, because the lighting um, has been vastly improved. Yeah, so, I mean, good, bad, same. Good. Yeah, yeah. good. Hmm. It, it looks more like a living cartoon. It doesn't have to look hmm. like South Park, which is kind of what you would do by flattening the light, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it looks amazing. It it, do, it strikes a weird balance of, of next-gen style HD, but with that art style. And I would love mm-hmm. to see some sort of mix of Skyward Sword and Wind Waker graphics for the next Zelda. It would be it would yeah. be beautiful. It'd be artistic as hell. the The Skyward Sword graphics were kind of like um, artist paint strokes, you know. Right. And actually, yeah, yeah. Wind Waker art style. Right. Thank yep. you. Yep. And and Wind Waker with this new lighting system actually seems to put a little bit of a haze on the game, and not in every instance, but there's a little bit more uh, atmosphere. Blue. Yeah. Like what, what were you saying? The uh, like the technical. Yeah. Um. Process the bloom. Bloom, stuff. okay. Yeah, thank you. Um, I thought you said something else, but yeah, that's exactly what I was going for. Bloom. So, it just, it has this effect on it where it kind of makes it almost more like Skyward Sword. And, uh, I don't know, it's just, it's damn beautiful. <laughs> you know, Carlos could tell you. <laughs> he's yep. our he's our resident uh, graphics cheerleader. Uh, mm-hmm. Whenever a Nintendo game is succeeding at that, he's the first one to, uh, to praise it, and it's... Uh, it's fun to be along for the ride with with his uh, excitement. But um, didn't he say seeing Wind Waker in HD was like seeing Super Mario sixty four for the first time? I think he might have said that. And you know what? I can I can see some correlations. Yeah. Now, what's funny, and this will be my last comment because we do have to move on. But when uh, Nintendo did the E three demos at the Best Buys, me and Game Dad Grant, we went down to the Best Buy near us, and we played Mario Kart together. Mario Kart 8, and uh, we didn't stay in line for a second time because so many there weren't that many people in line, but so many damn people wanted to play Wind Waker. You know, I was I was so confused by that. Why would you want to replay Wind Waker when you have Mario Kart 8, which I guess arguably would be the same thing as its predecessor? So <laughs> um, I understand that. But then uh, Mario Land, uh, or no, what was it? Um, 3D World. Yeah. Okay. So that was yeah. one of them. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's weird. But um, yeah, actually, that's the one I wanted to play initially, and uh, and again, I guess that's also an HD version of a previous game or whatever. And then they had was it Donkey Kong? So yes. I guess they were all intent technically rehashes, but they were new, uh, you know, except for the Wind Waker. So I was like, why would they really want to spend their time with that? And uh, I still don't quite get why the hype was so big then, but I totally see it now. <coughs> and I, I think that for me, I just wasn't able to experience what you know Carlos was seeing and what these other people were seeing in the context of the lines and the loudness of the Best Buy and mm-hmm. um whether or not I was going to get my Luigi coin yeah <laughs> if I was if I was that many people in line or whatever you know um I've been meaning to make you an offer on that by the way that's not happening no no I had to break Every- some legs to get that everyone point. has a price no yep name it I will give you one Lotus T-shirt in M- Animal Crossing. <laughs> That's a hard bargain. Holy crap! I know. I know. I <laughs> Can told you throw you. in some bear costume pants? I told you I was gonna get you. 
<laughs> uh, you're twisting my leg or <sighs> twisting my arm or whatever. I'll come up with something. Okay. Um, yeah, not happening. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I'm all set. Um, you know, I'm on my part of the discussion. I think we had a, a really nice uh, reminiscent slash current discussion about Wind Waker. And Zelda in general. I mean, Zelda's such a, a damn awesome series. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I forget about that. So anything else you guys want to add? Nope, I'm good. No, you're good? Yep. Joe's always good. He never has anything else to add. Nope. That's why he's no last comment, Joe. That's what they call him. He's one of the longest and worst nicknames I've ever given anyone. <laughs> Except for uh, PJ Buttsmooth uh, McFace. Yep. That was also that was actually the worst and longest nickname I've ever given it. <laughs> um, it's also the best verbal diarrhea I could make up on the spot. <laughs> Not bad. Thanks. Um, although I think I was channeling Smooth McGroove in there, which I feel bad for because uh, mm-hmm. he's really good. But anyway, uh, we're gonna take a break, and when we get back, we'll discuss uh, that sweet, sweet Nintendo Direct. <laughs> back from that relatively short break uh, mm-hmm. and we're here to uh, to discuss the October 1st 2013 Nintendo Direct and um, there was uh, a lot of information packed into this I think again mm-hmm. I, I want to gush a little bit about the Nintendo Direct concept really briefly because I love that Nintendo's been doing these they've been doing them for like two years now haven't they uh I'm trying to think when they started exactly, because they it had been well established by the time they did the E3 thing this yeah. year, at least a year from that. Yeah. So if not two years, then maybe one and a half or something. Something like that. And I think 2011 though. I think it's been been two years, and um and I just, I love it though. I mean even if if they show things like the Mario 3D World trailer and We Party You again. I mean those things are stuff we know about, but. They they are so smart about how they showcase new things. Mm-hmm. And they still can get you rehyped. Like I pretty much have to just listen to the Nintendo Directs to get rehyped about things, um, or anti-hyped, as the DKC Tropical Freeze thing uh, goes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, so I I love these Nintendo Directs, and um, I don't know, I just I just love the whole mentality that Nintendo has about them. I'm I, I admit I'm a I'm a Nintendo Direct fanboy in that sense. I'm not a, I wouldn't consider myself a Nintendo fanboy, mainly because it has a negative connotation, but it also implies um, a lack of self-awareness and uh, ability to choose what you appreciate. You know, um, I mean, I love Bioshock, and that series, that does that instantly make me not a fanboy? I guess that's a discussion <laughs> for another 
podcast, but the idea fanboy terminology is just dumb. But yeah, yeah that's another discussion. It's like the word kitty. It's it's like an inappropriate way to describe something. Yeah, you know, it doesn't really do a, a good job. Yeah. But um, but yeah, so I thought this was a, a great Nintendo Direct. It uh, it had you know again a mix of of new information about old concepts, old ideas. It didn't have a lot of you know amazement as far as uh, hey look what's here, look what's there, and I you know I'm expecting that at this time of the year. But uh, but they did throw in some new stuff, and uh, as you guys not at home, but um, you know Ricky and Joe, you guys can see the outline I made, and uh, so we'll kind of I guess go through this and hit on some things. Uh, hopefully it's what the listeners want to want to talk about too. I don't know. Let's talk about the uh, the main event of the Nintendo Direct, which is the very first thing they showed, which was the Super Mario 3D World trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, I have here uh, written down amazing trailer. Yep. I, I don't know what I meant by that. Um, I'm finally excited for this game, which is, I think, what you're capturing with so amazing. So this was the pivotal trailer then for you. Yeah. I mean, it's not like I wouldn't have eventually gotten the game anyway, but now I'm you're really on the hype excited train. to. Yeah, I'm on the hype train. Come on, ride that train. Choo, ride it. And ride it. Choo, choo. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I would agree. It felt like they were really holding back at E3. Yeah. You know, and wasn't that like part of a discussion on, a th- on the threads uh, about that? About, Or maybe it was like a comment section I read somewhere that someone commented, why did they wait? Yeah, really. Good stuff. But I, I think it's just part of building the hype because if you showed the great stuff that we saw at E3, and then okay, well, what else did we show without spoiling anything? Well, we have this stuff that's kind of the same stuff. It would kind of give you less hope about the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so say they had a finite amount of stuff to show us, and they show us all the good shit first. We're gonna be bummed and feel bummed going into the release of it. Here, we got the opposite, where we were like, oh, that's, that's the same, but it looks really good. It's cool. I'll probably have fun with it. And then, holy crap, what? You know, like, that's kind of what we went into, and I think that's just the smart progression. Yeah, I think I think that is their philosophy, and I think that that works great for folks like us, who are receptive to Nintendo products. Um, unfortunately, I think it's not really a very good strategy for convincing non Nintendo gamers to get on board because for them, I think it's all about that first impression. And when you don't blow them away with the first impression, they just kind of go, they just look and say like, Oh, same old Mario. Well, don't need to care. Are you talking about uh, non Nintendo is in non gamer or non Nintendo gamer, non Nintendo gamer, because go ahead, Ricky. They might not even watch Nintendo direct really. Oh, right. that's what I'm. No, that's what I'm saying. Is yeah. E3 is their chance to get those guys. So when they hold back at E3, right, they're kind of sacrificing those. But again, I I don't know if that's their who they actually want to get at E3 anyway. That's possible. You know, possible. especially considering they didn't show up there for the uh, for conferences. Um, so you didn't have like IGN and and those other guys who were. You know, it's pretty clear that they're kind of lean one direction. Um, you don't have them there. Trying, to, you're not trying to blow their minds away. Nintendo's trying to go to the consumer, and I think while it did attract people like us, viewers like you, um, <laughs> it also I think would attract again the casual gamer who is like, oh, you know what? I remember playing a game like that a few years ago. That was fun. And then they don't care that it's not anything 
fresh, quote unquote. That's and then, that Italian plumber that jumps on the mushrooms. Oh, he's adorable. <laughs> he's so fun. It's the year of Luigi. <laughs> Luigi. Uh, I'm gonna name my first son Luigi. <laughs> That'll be great. Um, uh, uh, I can only assume Ricky is named after the uh, kangaroo from from Oracle. Uh, yeah, Oracle games. Mm-hmm. Is that true, Ricky? Yeah. Yeah. I figured. My parents love that game. Yep. <laughs> so, so um, considering that game came out what twelve years ago, and you're definitely old, older than that. Um, so, well, he was you... unnamed for the first five years, I think. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. They were waiting. I think they just called him the hero of Hyrule until then. <laughs> and then they're like, you know, who's the hero of Hyrule? Ricky the Kangaroo. <laughs> so I think I know what what special friend they had in those games. They didn't get that uh, the bear or the the dinosaur. Okay, now I'm totally. I only I only up. ever got Moosh. I didn't know how to get any of the others. I think that was the same for me as far as the one that like sticks with you throughout the game, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, I was fine with that because my favorite is Moosh. He's just so adorable. But uh, back to Mario or whatever. Um, Actually, there's something else I was going to say, kind of related to just Nintendo Directs in general, but uh, whatever. Um, yeah, the trailer was amazing. The The music was really stellar. I think this is the first time we've gotten a really good listen at like what tracks could be. Like, or new tracks, is that true? or am I? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was a lot grander than I thought it would be, but it, it fits so well. Yeah, it's kind of like almost a Galaxy-style soundtrack from that one song anyway. You know, it's kind of got that grandiose feel but the game itself might borrow some things from from galaxy in the trailer i i distinctly remember there's a shot of mario chasing some bunnies which kind of has a galaxy connotation to it uh but the the camera is in a position that kind of reminds you of that 2d side scrolling you know gameplay from mario 3d land but then the camera goes free and then kind of swings in front of him and i don't know if that's something that happens automatically but it kind of felt like it was a free camera that you're able to to adjust on the fly and then you could see that the, the the field that they were in was much vaster and less 2D than you would expect. So I'm wondering if this is going to be more of a like a, almost a, a hint of Galaxy within the Mario 3D land formula. Mm. Because the level with the Blargs, instead of it having a... like I'm trying to think now. In Mario 3D land, isn't the viewpoint pretty much 2D to like... I mean, just to a T. It's mainly um, traveling from left to right, sort of 2D, but then there's also a lot of um, from foreground to background travel. Right, but the camera kind of stays fixed, though. Yeah, and now yeah, it, I don't think you can control it. And here, in that shot that I just described, we have that kind <laughs> of roaming camera, but also the uh, the set with like the Blargs, but they're kind of like Blarg <laughs> dragons or something. You'd have to go back and look at the trailer to see it, but... The camera's at like a weird kind of high above Mario look, kind of like Galaxy, but it's also kind of to the side, so it's kind of in a weird middle ground. I'm wondering if this will be kind of a mix of the two games. And plus, the green stars, which I don't think existed in Mario 3D Land, are here in uh, Mario 3D World, right? Mm. Yeah, I think they're just taking the place of the star coins, though. Oh, okay. Well, then that's kind of a, a fake out. Um... I wonder why they do that. Like, what's really the difference? I don't know. Maybe that's just further hinting at connections to Galaxy. 
Probably, and I mean, I I guess it's more entertaining to to find a, a green star than it is just a, a silver or a gold coin. I'm considering there's other gold coins in the thing, but well, I'm wondering as you're as as you're talking now if um if maybe this will be like Nintendo's flagship Mario. You know, my assumption for a while now has been that you know, they have um you know there's like the the new Super Mario line, which is the, you know, um, appeasing old fans who like the purely 2D simple experience. And then there's like the flagship Mario games like your Galaxy, Sunshine, etc. And that these, you know, the the 3D land was going to be, I thought, the handheld version. But then maybe now, maybe this on the Wii U, even though it's still got the sort of same naming convention in general approach as 3d land maybe this is the new flagship what do you guys think like do you think maybe this means we're not gonna get a galaxy like entry in the franchise this generation ricky you can go first on that um i don't think this necessarily excludes that i I think that we will see a sort of different mario from uh the new series in the 3d land series i don't know if it it will necessarily be like Galaxy. It might be more open, but I don't think this excludes more Mario games in that style. I did think that uh, the overworld map in this game was kind of interesting, and again, the vantage point is just different than I was expecting. Did you guys mm. catch that part of the trailer? Yeah. He's like Do you mean around. during gameplay or just on the overworld map? Like just the on overworld the map. Select. You know, normally you yeah. just move in the lines and the grid or whatever. Right. He but now you can is, actually run around. Yeah, I mean, I doubt that that's some sort of wavy grid. It probably is free roaming. You just kind of walk yeah. to wherever you want, which is kind of yeah. bizarre and awesome. I mean, well, you know, my guess would be that they just want to make it so that the players two through four have something to do during those times, which I don't think would be anything meaningful. But I think they can just run around and jump on each other, and right. That's my guess. It's an interesting concept and kind of a cool way to look at it. Yeah. Um, and hey, if it brings us closer to like a Mario World overworld map that you can actually like interact with in a significant mm-hmm. way, that'd be kind of sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, or like Mario 3. Because I mean, you know, when you're playing Mario 3, at least in Mario World, you can watch him walk. Mario 3, he's just like dancing in place. You know, he's just <laughs> an icon. And uh, maybe, maybe secretly we've all been wanting to see what what really happens between the levels, you know? <laughs> as long as they don't go as far to, like, have some sort of stupid mini-game where you're playing pretty much Mario teaches typing while you're going from level to level, uh, I think we'll be okay. Be bad. Uh, how do you guys feel about all the power-ups? There was a lot in that trailer. There was... I mean, we knew about... Um, not even actually... We didn't even know about half of them, really. Yeah. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven different power-ups I... I counted. Uh-huh. I mean, I'll just run through them real quick. Cat suit, double cherries, hammer bro suit, raccoon suit, blaster suit, I'm assuming it's called, propeller hat, the goomba suit, the ice skate, the baseballs and bombs you can throw, the piranha plant pot, and the uh, fire flower. That's obviously yep. the classic one. I mean, that's a lot. Pretty freaking amazing, I gotta say. I mean, a lot of, so much of this stuff is like, I, mean, I you know, I don't want to give them too much credit, but it's like, just when you think there's not more creative juices 
left necessarily like my my argument for years now has been like okay these like the more mainstream nintendo games they're not trying to uh blow us away with with new ideas they're just trying to give us quality experiences and they've always done that you know you don't play them for the big surprises you play them because they're fun right but these i mean i'm truly impressed with some of the creativity behind some of these i don't even know if you'd call them all power-ups but i guess they are power-ups but like i mean the friggin goomba suit where you are like now you're hiding from these other goombas i like laughed out loud when i saw that in the trailer because especially because the way you see the goomba on its own and then i think like a wall raises behind you or something and then you see these other goombas and then it dawns on you that that's mario and they're not attacking him because he's in disguise right like that is that is so brilliant i freaking love that stuff it's gonna be interesting to see how these power-ups like the baseball and um the blaster suit, how they add to the interaction between players and multiplayer, like hitting each other mm. and getting each other's way and sort of messing around. Mm, good point. And two, don't forget that uh, these items, if they're anything like Mario uh, 3D Land, you can bring them into any level. So you can right. collect a cat suit one level or the... I mean, maybe that's what the difference is between like a cat suit and the hammer suit versus the uh, the blaster. I wouldn't even call it a suit. Well, no, it is a suit because you are wearing it, but... Um, or, like, the Piranha Plant Pot. I'm sure you can't carry that from level to level. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the blaster suit may not be a carryable item either. So maybe that's what the difference is. Because uh, the levels probably. seem like they might be designed around that. But, yeah, uh, probably. But still, it's uh, it's exciting that things like the propeller hat and, and uh, the yeah. double cherries will be be in these levels in general. I mean, the ice skate, again, you wouldn't be able to bring that into a, a level in the desert, probably. It just wouldn't no. really work. No. Um, but I remember I was talking with you, I think, before maybe the Euphonic podcast, or I think, I don't know, it was off recording at some point, but um, about how seeing the cherries come back, that is yet another callback to the original Mario 2 on Nintendo. Yeah. Because we have not seen the double cherries since then. And uh, obviously, they serve a very different purpose this time around. Mm-hmm. Um, but it looks friggin' fun, and I just, oh my goodness, that's going to be so cool. You know, not to di- digress from that topic really quick, but uh, I'm thinking about the silhouette levels as well. Mm-hmm. We last saw the silhouette levels in Mario 2, when you go into the doors oh, and you see the cherries you're and right. stuff. You're totally right, I didn't even make that So connection. we've seen the silhouette before, even before Donkey Kong Country Returns. You know, right, 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 right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, hopefully it doesn't freeze us to the screen. <laughs> That'd be kind of lame, but uh, I mean, it doesn't look like it will. But uh, yeah. but that that's that's pretty cool. I mean, I wonder if we'll see. Um, what are those the star enemies called? The the ninja, ninja, ninja. Or, yeah, I think you're right, uh, Joe. Yeah, it's, like, I mean, those yeah, things. I mean, shy guys, obviously. But when was the last time we saw a shy guy in a 3D Mario mm, game? Like as an enemy? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Has it they ever had, happened? Uh, they had sniffs in Mario 64, which are like the shy guys that shoot bullets. Yeah, right. But they were stationary, right? Or no, no, no. they flew around. That's right. You're right. Okay. But we, but a traditional red shy guy has not been in the. I don't think I, so. No. That I can recall. So maybe we'll see them too. Like that'd be. 
That'd be totally sweet. Uh, I was. Happened. Oh, you go ahead, Joe. Oh, I was just gonna say that we also we had that episode title a few back about legitimate Toad being missing because he was blue instead of red. Right. But I do believe, upon further inspection, the Toad that you play as in Mario Two is that color. Is which color? Is blue. I don't know. Again. So I guess because they need the the Toad houses or something, you know. I don't know. So it could be that uh, Legitimate Toad is finally back. Could be the actual. It probably won't happen, but I think it'd be really cool if Wart showed up in this game. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or yeah. even the ability to pluck vegetables. Oh, the man. Ground. Yep. Yep. That's totally so something cool. that, they could, that they could totally plan and then not show us in trailers. Mm. Yeah. Even if, it's, even if it's a little bit. I can't imagine they would necessarily aim a lot of the mechanic around it because you have all these other things to throw. Um, and you, but I mean, if we're throwing baseballs and bombs, why not uh, turnip? You know what would be so cool is if because we've already seen Bowser in the trailer, so we know he's the bad guy. But if say like you, either maybe halfway through the game, or maybe maybe after the after you beat the game the first time, if like Wart pops in and I don't know swallows Bowser or something, and now he's the ultimate villain. I would appreciate something like that, because I just don't want, like, another giant Bowser end boss. Right. They've been fun, they've been cool, but they're overdone at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, unfortunately... Which is what I would be expecting this time. Right. Would be another one, assuming they don't throw us a curveball. I'm a little concerned about that thought, though, because I don't have the confidence in Nintendo to uh, to do that, to be to have the foresight to give us what we want in that sense. Right. I think that they'll think that giving us cherries and uh, and legitimate toad and stuff like <laughs> that is enough. But to get like I don't expect Mauser to be in here, although that'd be really cool if he was. You know, I mean, I I I would be totally agreeing with you. What ten days ago or something before seeing this trailer, but seeing this, I don't, you know, I don't know, I don't, I, I don't know what other tricks they might still have up their sleeve. I hope the end boss is Fanto. Fanto was that the guy who follows you and you steal? Yeah, the, key? the face that freaks you out. It's yeah, like your, your worst stuff. nightmare. He can be like, um, what's that boss from Star Fox sixty four? Andros. Andros. Yeah, he can be like Andros, just this giant face in the background <laughs> freaking you out. <laughs> be all right. <laughs> But uh, just to, to, I guess, sum this up, unless you guys have anything else to add about this title, um, to reiterate, though, November 22nd, which is a Friday, which is uh, the same day, or, well, the same day of the week that Wind Waker came out. It's kind of Nintendo's new standard. And uh, I think someone told me at GameStop when I was in there uh, that the reason that this is happening is because, again, traditional Nintendo releases were on Sundays, and in Japan, I forget what day their releases were. Might have been Sunday as well, but I, I feel like that's not true. But either way, people in Japan apparently were complaining that Nintendo wasn't giving them enough time on the weekend to play their games, you know. Or at least maybe maybe it was an American complaint, I don't know. But you get your game on Sunday, you got stuff to do anyway, you don't get to enjoy it over the whole course of the weekend. So now they've shifted that to, I guess, appease the people that they're selling <laughs> products to. It'd be funny if they just shifted it five days later instead of two days earlier, and just like, all right, fine, you want it on Friday? We can wait. 
Maybe that's what's happening to Donkey Kong Country Returns or Donkey Kong Country uh, Tropical Breeze. Maybe there's just a, a t- you know, like a an Excel spreadsheet error in their calculation of of how long to delay it, and uh, instead of five days, it's becoming like three months. Hmm. Let's bring that up really quick then. The uh, the fact that that was the bad news of the Nintendo Direct. Yep. That uh, Donkey Kong was getting delayed, which was not a surprise to me because I heard this from various w- websites well before it. Hmm. Was this a shock to you guys, or? Yeah, pro- yeah, it was to me. I mean, I have not been keeping up with my gaming websites because I Run don't one. like a lot of gaming websites. <laughs> so you only I just, go- I just don't like game journalism. So I kind of I I fed up with the like uh, flame bait like titles and stuff so I just kind of I just kind of feel like the important news will get to me one way or another yeah I feel like the the blow having it be delayed three months would have been softened a bit if right after that they showed a new trailer instead of waiting a couple weeks to release a new trailer like they did with uh, the Dixie Kong trailer mm-hmm. it's like you know it's delayed but here's some cool new gameplay or that right. fourth character we mentioned sure 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 yeah, we still don't like know it's delayed, that. but it's worth the wait because of this. I think that's yeah, that's the issue right now with this delay is no one's feeling okay about it because we don't know. Yeah, it kind of feels. I well, I think the easy speculation is it's just to pad their release schedule, which may or may not be a fair stance to take. Um, I don't know. I think doesn't everyone just want as many games as possible out before Christmas, like? Sort of, but you know Nintendo doesn't do very well at scheduling consistently. <laughs> and right. they I think they have pushed things back for that purpose before. Mm. And then and then too, we just recently found out, I think outside of the Nintendo Direct, but that there's or maybe it wasn't there, but six worlds as opposed to the eight that we're used to from the previous title. So it makes it feel like, well, is there less content, but they're delaying it two months or you know, what what's up here? Mm. That kind of adds to my belief that maybe it is a padding issue. But then again, those levels and those worlds could be much more meaty and significant than, you know, the the past game. Mm-hmm. So, who knows? I mean, as we just discussed with the Wind Waker thing, the amount of worlds or levels or dungeons can kind of be arbitrary depending on what you're going for. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard when you get used to something to change it up without feeling cheated or something. Right, right, right. Maybe the next two uh, worlds will be downloadable content. Paid DLC. Uh... <laughs> I'm hoping that I jinxed it in a, in a manner that allows it to not be true. Like Nintendo's yeah. like, oh, he's onto us. Let's not do it. That'd be awesome. You know, let's bounce around to that really quick then, because I guess I'm not going in order of the Nintendo Direct, but uh, there was talk of some sort of DLC for Nintendo, which was kind of a surprise. And I know, Ricky, you've got some things to say about it. Um Pikmin 3 received some DLC, and uh, some of it was paid, and there was one level, I think, that was free for everybody that I need to get myself. I haven't done it yet. But uh, have you played... Did, did you buy the, uh, the 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 paid DLC? Yeah, I bought it, and I played all the levels. Um, I, I give like my brief thoughts on it, if you'd like. Please do, yeah, I want to hear them. Um, basically, the remixes of the the old challenge maps... But they changed them so that, like, one map doesn't have any water on it that it used to, or the captains are in different locations. And I feel like they were, did more creative and original things, such as there's one level where you only have purple Pikmin from the start, 
and there's only really heavy fruit. So it changes the way you have to manage your Pikmin and your time. Because you you can have a few of these Pikmin carrying it back, but it's gonna take forever because they're slow. So um they they did a lot with what they had, but I, I feel like they should have done more and like created new maps entirely. Yeah. That's kinda what I was expecting. And but then- overall for two dollars, if you like mission mode, that's really a great asking price. How many levels are there for the two bucks? Um, Four. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's a remix version of every level. Oh. Wait. In, mission, in mode. mission mode. What am I thinking then, Joe? What's the uh, the thing that you and Lou were playing? That's different. Oh, that's bingo. Bingo battle. Okay, I'm thinking because that's got like twelve. So mission just has the four then, huh? And the free one. And the free one. Although the 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 DLC was seven through ten. I remember that. So then there's six total. Uh no the the first five is just um the ones that came with the game, six is the free one and then seven through ten are the okay. ones you have to buy. Gotcha gotcha, that's kind of confusing a little bit just because they didn't explain that the other one the free one was gonna be number six but no that makes total sense. How's the free one? Is 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 it worth maybe just getting the free one? Uh and then I mean is that kind of the the barometer that you'd use to know if you want to buy the other two, or is it I more would say like, so. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. So is is the free one fun, more fun or less fun than the actual purchasable ones? Um, it's about on par. Okay. It gives you a good sense of the kind of changes and what it'll be like. See, that's a that's a smart move from Nintendo, I think. I think Nintendo's got a lot of them lately. And yeah, I know that maybe this podcast lacks Nintendo criticism sometimes because I really don't have too many to make because I'm just kind of I go with the flow kind of guy, and and I there's a lot of Nintendo to like, so I don't really focus on what I don't. But uh, might lack Nintendo criticism, but it has at least two co-hosts Nintendo honesty. It'd be one thing if we didn't criticize them because we were getting paid or getting sent free games or something, but you're not. Tell them about that. <laughs> But so long as we're giving our honest opinion, I mean, my God, is if so long if it's positive, like that's only a good thing that we be like the only one on the internet. Because even, I mean, Nintendo gets bashed all the time, but even for other um, platforms, it's just you know Sony, Microsoft, even it's just cool to like hate on games and criticize them to death. It's like that's I feel like your people who do that are missing the point of video games. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I try to have a realistic mindset about certain things, but uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm here as a Nintendo fan for Nintendo fans, and um, I'm, I'd rather Buy just... Nintendo fans? I'd rather just focus on uh, on the positives. I just think that's a smart move that uh, that they would release, you know, a free level and then the paid ones, instead of kind of forcing this idea that you're you're lacking something and making you not be certain that you want the paid DLC before you actually buy it. It's cool mm. that they give you a taste and that they trust in their product enough to let you try it before you buy it, you know? Mm-hmm. There's a certain level of trust that says, you know what, I'm going to risk letting you play it or pl- or play uh, or get a feel for it before just, you know, getting your money. It means mm-hmm. that they expect you to come back for more, that they have faith in themselves. And uh, And, of course... Other companies have this too. I'm not trying to say that Nintendo is specific uh, just for that, but 
I just appreciate a company, any company, that has the confidence in their product, and then I appreciate them that much more if they actually fulfill that, uh, you know, the promise that they make, mm-hmm. which, in my opinion, Nintendo does. What Sega don't. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's move on to another topic from uh, from Nintendo Direct. Uh, Ricky, you pick one. Um, what do you want to talk about? A link between worlds. Okay, yeah, let's, let's jump to that then. You start us off. Because I, I watched it, the trailer, of course, and uh, but I didn't get a chance to rewatch it, and, and it's honestly the thing I remember the least from the Nintendo Direct. So tell us uh, what you're thinking about this title. Um, I think overall it's pretty, it's going to be pretty good. It has some questionable decisions, such as reusing the overworld map from A Link to the Past. And the the big details they revealed in this Nintendo Direct <coughs> would be how the items work. And from a certain point early in the game, you get access to the shop that sells items that would normally be found in dungeons, like the bow and the fire rod and hammer and things of that sort. And you can rent those items in whatever order you want, whenever you want, as long as you have the money. Meaning that you can essentially go to any dungeon or area in the game from that point that you get to the shop on. And when it, you can keep those items until you die, and then you have to go back and re-rent them. So that was confirmed, because you, yeah, you mentioned that in the pre, uh, pre-show, and I, I had never heard that before. But so yeah. you rent only for your life, and if you perish, then you lose that. Right. And then eventually you can buy the items at what Nintendo says is just a high price. And I think that's great, because it, it gives you freedom that kind of reminds me of the first Zelda. But I think it'll be a problem because um, you're really punished if you don't beat the boss on the first try because they haven't said if you can just, like, if you, if you have to go back to the shop to rent the item or if you're just giving it an option when you respawn. But if it goes back to the shop, that means you have to leave the dungeon and trek back to the center of the overworld where the shop is, re-rent it, and go all the way back to the dungeon. I mean, they might have, like, a warp system in place, which is kind of a a decent way to fix a bad problem. So, I mean, I'm not saying that that's a saving grace. Although, I, f- I wonder if there's, like, a Rossetti character to prevent you from just saving before the boss and then restarting. Because I feel like that that's what it'll drive people to do if it's yeah. that inconvenient to get your item back. You know, uh, that is questionable, but I, I personally don't think I can make too much of a statement on it until I experience it because we don't know fully how it works. Right. Um, I'm, I am a little concerned about it like you, though, because it is cool to be able to do these things out of order, but, um, I don't know, I just, I just hope it's as streamlined and, and not frustrating to, to maybe have the wrong item. I hope, like, what was that, I was thinking I was listening to, uh, 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 Nintendo World Report's Connectivity, and... They somebody on there I think had the idea that hopefully in every dungeon the first room you get you must use the item for the dungeon because that way you can't get any further without it and that way that prevents people from say they have the fire rod or the dominion rod or whatever the heck they have in there and you really need say the flippers mm-hmm. and so you get halfway through the dungeon and you realize oh I need to swim now son of a bitch and the fire rod's pointless in this dungeon so then you got to go all the way back out, go get change your items and stuff like that. That would be horrible. 
horrible design. So mm-hmm. hopefully, like, and this is the exact example example they used. Um, it's the most obvious one as well. But uh, we've seen the hammer used a lot. Well, the first room in the dungeon should require the hammer to knock down some pegs before you can get in through the first door. Uh, right. But then at the same time, that almost seems... I don't know. I Because then it would be, like, really, really gamey. Yeah, like, kind of gimmicky. It wouldn't feel yeah. organic. Yeah. Um, it's like, oh, well, look what's here. Uh, it's the next item. And it almost make you feel like there's got to be, like, eight items for eight dungeons. And mm-hmm. I kind of appreciated Twilight Princess for using items in different dungeons, trying harder to do that. I... My memory escapes me, but Skyward Sword might have done the same thing. It may be that you can't even get to the dungeon without the item. For example, in the dungeon where you use the leaf blower, which is like the the um, gust jar in Minish Cap, yeah, just wind. Um, there's a a gate in front of the entrance to the dungeon, and you can't lift that gate up until you use the the uh, leaf blower to move a propeller that lifts the gate. And right. that that's kind of an organic solution. And it seems like that would be such an obvious flaw to just have it be that gamey that I feel like Nintendo has seen that and is working around it. I hope so. And then I hope, too, that each dungeon's not designed around just one item, because that would also be kind of a boring experience. Um, the cool thing about dungeons in Zelda, despite their concern for you, know, you getting an item in a dungeon and then uh, using it, and then that's kind of it, it's kind of exciting to not know what item you're going to use until you get to it. And then you're kind of like, oh, this opens up some possibilities. So to get the item ahead of time takes away the surprise factor of what's in the dungeon. So hopefully they either have some very important and exciting things within the dungeon still to get, as opposed to completing the dungeon. Um, That or hopefully there's multiple items to be used in these dungeons, and you have to kind of figure out the best combo. Or maybe they can be beaten in multiple ways where, yeah, you need the gust jar, but you could use either the, the fire rod or the hammer. Would, would make things a little more uh, integrated, uh, a little bit mixed up a little bit. It'll be really interesting to see how they address these questions. It kind of makes you forget that they're reusing the, the Link to the Past map. Which, you, you know, you mentioned, and I think that's actually okay. They haven't confirmed if it expands the map. Uh, which I think would be really sweet, even if it was just by a little bit, just to be like, oh, so that was on that side of the wall. Um, but, of course, one reason that that may not really work is because if you were to keep it the exact same map and the same boundaries, well, then you would just have like a... F- it'd be like having a fence around your world, and there's a little bit outside of the fence. Unless, of course, this game, which does take place later in the timeline, you know, maybe... There maybe it's partially expanded, so like a wall that you hit on the very far right side of the map is busted through. At you know in this game, something happened to it, and now you can go there, and there's a whole section on that side now that was there the whole time before, or something. I could see that. Um, that'd be kind of neat, and maybe of course they could do like, like what they did with the uh, Master Quest Zelda for Ocarina of Time. They had grottos in different places, different caves. They could rearrange a lot of that stuff, and I'm sure they will. And I think it'll be kind of cool to go. You know, I'll be going from like a cave I've never really been into before because it's been remixed, and then I'll go to that church where, or the cathedral, whatever it was, uh, in the first Zelda, uh, in the first Link to the Past, where um, you know all this stuff happened, and maybe we'll see how it changed. It'll be kind of exciting to go back to that world and see how it's changed in the same way that Wind Waker, without us realizing it at first, showed us how Hyrule changed. 
So there's potential there for sure. I definitely was not someone who shit on the idea from the from the get go, which a lot of people did. And yeah, it's just not that big of a deal for me. I don't think. I mean, I think it. You know, the how much fun the game will be will be what what you do within those boundaries, not necessarily the boundaries themselves. Of which Plus, you do. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, I mean, even when you think of A Link to the Past or any one map, the way you traverse any one part of a map is so heavily dictated by the circumstances of of that point in the game that you could so easily make the same map play differently depending on any number of factors, you know. Sure. Sure what item you have at that point in the game whatever so yeah i mean this is literally the, the t- uh, topography that's the same i mean right. everything right. else is is has the potential to be different and yeah. then that's just talking about the overworld but the dark world they've already alluded to they, i don't think they've come out and said it but they've alluded heavily to the fact that, that will be very different mm-hmm. and pretty much that'll be the the new part of the game so really this is almost like a hub world that's the same and familiar and then the bulk of the game may actually take place in the dark world as it's now whatever it is you know whatever yeah. it's become since since link's actions in the previous dark world mm-hmm. so i say chill out to anyone yeah. who's doubting you know give it a, give it a chance i'm chill what's kind of crazy is that the game's coming out also on november 22nd and there's everyone's favorite mario party island tour that's all, oh that's <laughs> also that day isn't it yeah they didn't even mention it in the nintendo direct yeah, when I went to GameStop, I uh, I asked because I I had money down on Mario Golf, which then obviously got wiped off the the release schedule, which pissed me off. But uh, so the the clerk is like, "Hey, you got some money just kind of sitting here. Um, do you wanna? What do you wanna do with it?" And I said, uh, "Well, let's move it to." Um, I asked her. I was like, "When's Mario come out? Uh, November twenty second? I just want to confirm. And she's like, "Yeah." I said, "Okay, well, let's put it to that because that's a game where I don't want to wait for shipping. I just want to make sure I get it as fast as possible." But yeah, they didn't mention that in the in the. Nintendo Direct, which doesn't really show confidence in your product there, considering it is mm. pretty close to release. Mm-hmm. But How successful is the Mario Party franchise? I Once upon a time, it was incredible. Now... Yeah. I mean, not just the quality, but like the sales. I don't know how it's doing nowadays. I mean, it definitely has... I think the climate's changed. Mm. I thought Mario Party 9 was pretty stellar. Mm. I think Yeah, I think that's the... It's a Wii one, right? Right. Mm-hmm. I think I own that one. Yeah, I do. That's the latest <laughs> one. Um, I played it pretty heavily for a little bit, but uh, but it's best with people, and I just haven't sat down with it mm. um, in a long time. But yeah, that was really good. And I would be interested in this to a point, but um, I just don't know, uh, you know when I'm going to uh, be able to play it with a significant amount of people. Right. And I... I used to care about Mario Party single player, but I don't really anymore. I don't have the time to play that game single player. Right, right, right. Um, there was a, quite a discussion recently in, on the forums about uh, about uh, whether or not you know it deserved online play and everything, and I got uh, quite an unpopular reaction when I said that uh, I didn't really care too much because Mario Party is a game that I would want to play with people in the room because, to me, when you can't communicate with others, which you really wouldn't be able to do very well with the 3DS if you to do it online, um, during the game, that is, uh, I, 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 I doubt they would probably have voice chat 
and even then, if you can't, I don't know, I feel like if you can't, if you're not in the same room with the same, with these people, it's, it's not the same as oh, yeah. just like, like chatting like we are now, if we were playing Mario you, Party, it would be different than if we were in the same room playing Mario Party. You gotta be able to throw elbows when they screw you over in the mini games and such. And that sounds like a, like a ridiculous way to put it, but it's true. And I don't know how to explain it better than that, but, uh, so I, no, I, I nailed said, it. Well, there you go. I guess I don't have to explain it better than that. But I, I didn't uh, care for the online idea. Uh, I, well, I, it would be nice, I guess, but I wouldn't assume it's essential because to me, to play with humans when you can't communicate with them is the same thing as playing with uh, the computer. And man, I got shit on a little bit for that. I don't <laughs> I don't really see why it was warranted uh, in that regard. Um, I wouldn't say it's a garbage thought, which is the, the, the big one. Uh, big response, but uh, I don't know. Do you guys agree with that? Do you guys think that um, even if you couldn't communicate, then uh, you still should have online no matter what? Or do you think that it's okay that Nintendo still wants Mario Party to be played with people in the same room? And let me amend that by saying I'm pretty sure that it's single cart full multiplayer. I think you're right. I agree with you. So I think that's the better option. And maybe it's shitty that Nintendo is forcing that on people, but I appreciate that they're one company who actually still values the in-person multiplayer experience. When a lot of companies just say, oh, fuck it, we don't need it. You know, let's get the headset going. Mm-hmm. I do enough headset chatting, I and I love getting together with people. And it takes more work because we are all we live in a world now where, like, Facebook is our way, our gateway to our friends, you know, and, and that's bullshit. So, <laughs> so I yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, again, maybe maybe I'm behind the times, like I'm an old fogey who's who's like, oh, I remember playing GoldenEye back in the day, and uh, and maybe <laughs> that's up your wired controllers. Yeah. And... Oh, we we were so so uh, rambunctious, our our cords got tangled. <laughs> you know? Luckily, luckily, I had the banana yellow, and I could tell where I was. You know, like <laughs> that kind of thing or something, but. Sure. Drinking Fruitopia. Oh, the Capri Suns were flowing like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was a sunny D Sunday. Um, hopefully we get like advertising revenue for that. Mm. Sunny D, not worth your time. <clears throat> I'm sure someone's going to be pissed I said that. <laughs> but it's just sugar, for God's sake. Um, yeah, so anyway, uh, what else do we have in the roster? I mean, we're kind of running out of time here, so... Um, I'm going to run through a couple points really quick, and then we'll just kind of see where that leaves us. Uh, the Lego Marvel game looked pretty good, and uh, I am not sure I really care about it, though. Uh. Because, from what I can tell, it's going to be like the old Lego games and not like Lego City Undercover. Uh. And I just don't really care for that. Now, what did what would you say is the key difference I think I know, but uh, since you've played <clears throat> Undercover, how would you... Well, I haven't played much of the other ones. Okay. So I can't really attest to that. As, like, I'm, not, I'm definitely not someone who like appreciated it at first and then went on to, to love Undercover. But Undercover is just open world. There's, it feels a lot more organic. The graphics... Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that's not fair because that was the first Wii U one, but... Uh, just the way it's structured and everything, I feel mm. like the world's more alive. I'm more I- involved. I it's not just re well. I think part of it too was the fact that it wasn't themed, so it's not just recreating a movie, 
which Marvel right. kind of right. would be. It'd be recreating recreating uh, movies or comics, but they yeah. could do a lot more with that. And I think it'd be cool to sure you have your missions just like in Lego City Undercover. You had to you know go uh, you know go catch that criminal or follow him here. I mean, there's a story to that, but I think having an open world would be really cool. But again, how do you decide that with all the different characters involved? I mean, I don't know much about these comics, so pardon me for mixing these things up. I know that some of these are neat, like some of these are DC and Marvel. I'm about to say here, but in my yeah. head, it's like, why can't we have Gotham mixed in with uh, wherever the hell the um, uh, Spider-Man's from, or like uh, New York City? Oh, oh yeah, duh. That wasn't a made-up thing. That was New York City. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, like Gotham, New York City, and then uh, you know Clark was from uh, Metropolis, uh, Superman. Like, it'd be kind of cool to have them all, like, maybe near each other. Mm. But, I mean, that wouldn't be realistic either. So, I mean, I get that's kind of tricky. And then you got the Hulk, and where the hell was he from? They could kind of do what Nintendo did with Majora's Mask, where they really condensed it. Like, in Majora's Mask, you could see an ocean in one direction, and a snowy mountain in another, and then a swamp in a third direction. So, make it, like, really condensed and unnatural, but still, like, a, a mix-up of the right. world. Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty good. And, I mean... Maybe they, they do like a... Well, the Nintendo Direct said that there was 45 missions plus additional challenges and modes, so maybe, you know, maybe it breaks it up and it's still fun, but... Uh, well, here's here's what, you know, my two cents on something like, you know, the licensed LEGO game. And I played the Star Wars full saga, whatever it was called, um, on Wii, and it was very fun. I liked it a lot. But... What's strange seeing this game in HD is I'm starting to think like like a HD Lego game that uses licensed characters. It's almost like why don't you just make a Marvel game? You know, like the Lego thing in HD because the the backgrounds now are so detailed, the environments are so complex. There's nothing Lego about it, you know. Right, like the way they're walking around, you know, these beautiful landscapes, and and every now and then, you know, yeah, there's these little bricks that you remind you it's Legos, but even the even the little guys running around, you know, the, with the HD, they're so detailed that it I, it's so much more lifelike than just some Lego pieces. That it just it kind of makes me feel like why don't why don't you just make a Marvel game? Which is different than with Lego City Undercover, where at least they're original characters and they're just Lego specific. Sure. And I think that's exactly the nail on the head for what I appreciate about Lego City Undercover so much. Mm. Because I grew up playing Legos and they had theme sets, but I grew up building cars and hospitals and all that crap out of just whatever colored bricks. My, my homes were the most like bipolar colored things. You know what I mean? There was like no theme to it. It just, they were just bricks, yeah. and and uh, and that's what Lego City Undercover really kind of taps into. It kind of has like theme sets of its of its own, uh, you know, with the forest and the mine and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But it it doesn't try to define itself by anything else that existed before it. It just is what it is, and that's why they can make things look Lego brickish, even though the world itself is not really that brickish. But they can still interject it with studs and bricks, and it just makes sense. And you can bust open a. Uh, you know, a phone booth and it explodes into bricks. It just feels right. While, mm-hmm. yeah, with this Marvel thing, 
you would expect it to just like make it make to just make a great Marvel game. Right. Yeah. With, with maybe Skylanders type looking uh designed uh superheroes if you want to go that sure. kind of chibi sure. small version thing. Yeah, and a and a more accessible gameplay style like this. I mean, I love how in the Lego Star Wars game you really are basically just button mashing and blowing shit up, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And then too, uh, I remember playing a little bit of Lego Lord of the Rings. And the chapter that I played, or the two chapters I played, you know, the camera's fixed, and you're kind of like on a set. Mm-hmm. You're on a playset, which I guess kind of makes sense from a Lego point of view. I mean, your sets generally are literal stages and sets uh, where you play with, and you are kind of don't roam outside that boundary. But, you know, again, I grew up uh, with a Lego table, so I had a lot of range to uh, to build things, and Lego City Undercover allows you to just explore freely the free... The free roaming world of Lego City Undercover is one of the greatest things. Mixing GTA with Lego was brilliant. And you can't get that when you have all these other franchises and things to adhere to. Mm -hmm. If you were to do like a Lego Batman game, which I know that they've done, maybe that could work because you could stay in Gotham and you could do a bunch of things that are Gotham related, but uh, I think they still design those in a playset style mentality that uh, that just breaks it all up and doesn't feel right to me. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm more of a, a free free world kind of guy than a, than a chapters kind of guy. Mm. I don't know. But, so uh, what else? What else are we going to talk about? Well, I'll, I'll say this about Lego Marvel. It comes out October 22nd, which yeah. if everything goes to plan, uh, this episode will not be out, or it will be out before <laughs> then. So the the game will not be out before this episode oh, airs. So zip it, <laughs> zip it. Um, and there is off TV play, which is kind of cool. I'm glad to see that there. But uh, I don't know. I mean, the only other things I wanted to mention were Sonic related, uh, and then Etrian Odyssey, the Untold Millennium Girl. How do you feel about Etrian Odyssey? I am very very excited for that game. You're a stoked little fire, aren't you? Yep. 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 I, uh, I obviously have been talking on this podcast about how I have gotten hooked by Etrian Odyssey 4. I'm totally sold on the franchise, and this is even more perfect because had this game not been coming out, what I would have done it was just go back and start playing the DS games. I probably would have gone back and started with Etrian Odyssey 1. And now I'll sort of be able to do that, but it's basically in this totally souped up version so so this is just perfect timing for me in every way um the the one thing (laughs) i'm sort of of two minds about this game though because on the one hand as you know i'm all about story i'm all about characters and so usually i'm turned off when a game like etrian odyssey 4 doesn't really have predefined characters and it's up to you to just make them and the pro is that you can customize how they look or whatever but the con is that then they can never really have any personality because they're just blank slates um so what's going on in this new game uh which what is the full title etrian odyssey untold millennium girl yeah i think so the Millennium Girl. Which is a remix of the first Etrian Odyssey, 
like it's got that classic Perfect. gameplay, but it's got the new Im- improvements, enhancements that the series has seen. Correct. Um, but and so going along with that, I haven't read too much because I didn't want to ruin anything for myself. But I know that you will have a some kind of choice between pre-made characters that will actually have their own plot and development, and then the option of the traditional sort of piece your own party together. So what I'm not sure about is are those two completely like would you need like a whole different save file for one or the other? Sorry, I have to interrupt and ask. So would you say that this DS game is a la carte? Oh. Alright. No, I respect it. I respect you for trying. I had too big of a smile on my face when I said that. Rundown <laughs> of what the gameplay is like in those games because I've never played or oh. seen them. Yeah, I just sure. listen to the music, frankly. I, I would like to know more about the <laughs> gameplay, too. Sure. Um, so it's a uh, first-person perspective going through a grid-like dungeon. So you move, like, one space at a time. Uh, the dungeons are not random. Uh, and when you... So you don't, you don't see your party or your characters, just purely first-person, and that holds up even when you encounter enemies randomly uh, for the battles. You just see it... You just see the enemies in first-person... And, you know, there's no character models bouncing around or anything. Um, and the unique twist is that you make your own map. There's no auto map. So on the bottom screen, you use the stylus and you can, you have a, a lot of tools to choose from, different colors and different ways to do like borders and stuff. And you draw your own map, and you make little notes to yourself, like, oh, this um, this plant is here, and if you eat from it, you'll recover 30 HP or something. And this plant is over here, and if you eat that, you're, you'll get poison. Um, so stuff like that. That's the general approach. And there's not so much in the way of, of, like, towns or anything like that. It's just, it was like one hub world, and that world, that uh, town, I should say, one town that you can't even move around freely. It's just like you click down a menu, and the menu options are like, you know, the weapon shop, the guild to get new members if you want, the bar where you can get um, information on new quests, and and that's it. So the whole experience is really very stripped down and simple. But I don't know. There's just something about how all these pieces come together that was just really so enjoyable so that's the that's the gist of the gameplay and i'm hoping that you can somehow mix and match like these predefined characters with your own characters that would be optimal for me because and there was even a little bit of that in etrianacy 4 because you would come by these um predefined characters in your in the travel through the dungeons and usually, at some point, you would get an option to have them permanently join your party. Which is really like the best of both worlds, because you got to customize your own group, but then you had the option of taking on these characters with personalities and backstories. So that would be awesome if, if that is the approach in this new game. Doesn't that I, then kind of make your other characters obsolete, though? Uh, no. Why Why would you say that? Well, like, so you find the character that has personality and depth, and then you just say, okay, well, screw my other character. Like, I really won't focus on him anymore, because this guy's oh, more no. interesting. 
Well, that just gives you the option because a lot of people, I'm sure, would be much more attached to the create to the character that they sort of created. Okay, so that strengthens over time, and that becomes kind of it fulfills the role that it needs to, but just initially it doesn't really have yeah that connection. There's no instant connection. Yeah, well, and I, you know, I'm I'm thinking this is something that would vary drastically person to person. It's just that uh, some folks. You know, even though you're still just picking from predetermined uh, artwork, some folks might come across that picture and be like, oh, I really connect with the way this person's drawn. They're my guy, you know, and I've given them a name and that name means something to me. So so now that connection has been made and that might supersede whatever you enjoy about the per- unique personality of this predefined character. All right. I got gotcha. you. This- the other thing is you don't get to pick the class of the predefined characters in Etrian Odyssey 4. When you meet them, they are a certain class. So if that doesn't fit with what you're trying to do with your party, then, you know. Sure. Yeah. So that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that in this game, and I would be so over the moon about this game, if you had the best of both worlds where you had this great narrative, but then also some customization options I'm, I'm hoping that it's not like you just get a menu at the beginning of you know story mode or custom mode or whatever they would call it but other than that game looks amazing they've got this anime animation uh, for the first time in the series which is from some studio that I don't know of but so they're really really like putting their best foot forward which is interesting um, since Atlas, of course, has just changed hands as far as ownership. But from what we've all read, I guess Atlas is fine. It's just that the their parent company needed to needed to sell them off or something. So anyway, that's Etrian Odyssey Untold. Hmm. Well, that's Etrian Odyssey Told now. Yeah. <laughs> See, you guys love this. Trust me. I do. So, Ricky, is that, I mean, hearing what kind of gameplay that is, does that appeal to you at all? Or I know a lot of people would just be instantly turned off by that kind of game. Well, I really haven't played anything like it, so I don't know. I have the demo downloaded on my 3DS. I just have yet to play it. <laughs> Me too. For, for the you really new... have piqued my interest in the game, though. Hmm. Is that the demo for the new one or for 4? 4. Yeah, my only stipulation with it, I totally can hear your excitement and and what's of value in this game, Joe, from what you described. And mm-hmm. again, the music is freaking amazing. Like that's, yeah. That really makes you want to play just for that. It's like Kirby's Epic Yarn. You know, I want to play the game just for the music. But True. Uh, I just can also hear in your voice, in your stories, how much of a dedication this game kind of feels. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I just do not have the time for that. With yeah. everything, with, with the backlog and, and the things I know, like I'm a sucker for Mario. Like I, that's gonna suck up so much of my attention, uh, and I'm gonna 100% that game because I 100% every Mario game, and uh, and then uh, of course there's the next one, and I still haven't beaten Pokemon Black too, and I just know that yeah. I would never be able to do it justice. So no, I'd I hear you. Like hear about it from someone who can. Yeah. No, I went when you were talking about how much you played uh, Animal Crossing earlier. I went. Although that might be, that might have been during the break. <laughs> anyway, um, okay. I went. I went and checked my uh, 
my 3DS play records because I was wondering how much I had played Animal Crossing. And yes, it is my number one most played 3DS game by a far, by a long shot. But um, third is Etrian Odyssey at 80 hours. Nice. So, and and as I've said, I've, I'm not even totally done with the game. I have no idea how much more there is. I assume not too much, but... Were you talking about like extra stuff or are you not even done with the main campaign? No, it, yeah, it's it's post game or whatever. Okay. There's like a bonus dungeon. Um and I don't know how big it is. I think it could be the size of of any other dungeon. So so yeah, so maybe maybe another 5 hours or so, maybe more. Hmm. Probably no more than 10 more, but so yeah, so that's talking a 90-hour game to really get everything out of it. That's no, no small commitment. I'm, I'm 115 hours into Xenoblade. I'm afraid to go back to it because of the other 90 hours. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, geez. Yeah. I think I bet you I have like two hours or less, but I just haven't sat down for that. <laughs> I'm pretty damn close. I think I think I have a lot of grinding to do because uh, I kind of lost the last couple battles that I did, and uh, but I think I'm at like a pivotal end. So that's just what I haven't given time to. You know, I don't know if I shared this before, but the reason I've kind of slowed down on finishing up the post game of Etrian Odyssey 4 is because the difficulty really ramped up. So like I beat the game, I was very comfortable with where my guys were at level wise. And then I'm doing this post game stuff and some of it is just just over my head as far as the level or equipment or something that's required to not die so much. So I I don't know if you'd call it frustration, but I kind of I guess I've just been intimidated by the preparation I'll have to do, and that has kind of made me put it on the back burner for a while. So. That's kind of yep. frustrating. A little bit, a little bit. That's really been the the one um, dull mark on this otherwise stellar. I'm sure that's got to be a tricky situation for developers, though, because if you're you know souped up at the end of the game because you're you know you've been doing awesome and everything. Uh, you don't right. want to make it easy because then the post game really has no challenge to it. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But then again, yeah, oftentimes they go the opposite direction to an extreme. Yeah. And uh, and yeah. I think that's what it is. This is supposed to be like, okay, you know, the normal fan can beat the game. Now let's separate the men from the boys, as it were, with the post game. So yeah. Uh, but uh, it's all about that. So what uh, what do we want to talk about next? I would like to discuss Sonic Lost World just a little bit. Here's all I will say. I'll keep this short and sweet. That was a great, great point. Uh, moving on to the conclusion. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> go ahead, uh, go ahead. The game looks amazing. And I'm... I just... I'm so happy with where Sonic is at between... Sonic Colors, and now this game. Uh, I don't know. I think it's a great time to be a Sonic fan. I think they finally. I think Sega finally kind of knows knows what they're doing. Uh, even if what they're doing means copying Nintendo, that wouldn't be the worst idea in the world, and they wouldn't be the first company to do that and succeed. Yeah, I want to go back in time and grab like 1996, 1995 Sega. And like rub their nose in this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I like Sega. 
Yeah, yeah. Sudden, Sega the, uh, is like quickly becoming second party Nintendo for goodness sake. So pretty much. That's, well, they'll be second party Nintendo when uh yeah, when they've um well, wait, yeah, they were the ones who did Monkey Ball, right? They were the lead on that? Mm-hmm. Or who was? Yeah. Okay. When they make an appropriate Monkey Ball again, then they'll be yeah. second party. But because they've bastardized that series, unfortunately. In fact, so, anyway, that's all I, I want. Oh, I'm sorry. No, please. Go ahead, Joe. No, that's, I was saying I was done. So. Oh. Um, have you seen the canceled game that was in, like, sometime in the 90s called Sonic Extreme? Because oh, it seems yeah. like Lost World has been heavily inspired by it. I have, and as much as I, I think it would be very, very nice for Sega if they could say, like, oh, we're not copying Nintendo, this is just an old idea we had, I think it's a coincidence. That they're so, that they're similar. I just think, I think if not for Mario Galaxy, I don't think we would be seeing this Sonic game now. Is my interpretation. I think you're right. Yeah, but I know a lot of Sega fans are are very proud that they can point to Extreme and at least at least leave it up for debate or something. Please tell me Extreme isn't spelled with just an X. Is it might it be. Is. I think it, oh, it is. Gosh, damn it. <laughs> Sega. That was the time, man. Sons of bitches. <laughs> uh, yeah. Did it come no, with, this... like, Sonic-themed GAC or something? <laughs> <laughs> like a big packet of it. It's Extreme. No, this, looks, this looks so good. I, I just... Oh my god. I, Sega is giving me exactly what I want from a Sonic game with this because there's the cutscenes and Amy Rose is there and Knuckles is there. You know, I'm not one of these the Sonic fans who's like, it's gotta be just Sonic and Tails and nobody else. Especially because if you analyze that statement, like Tails was an addition. Tails is not in the first game. He was you know it's kinda started the ball rolling of Sonic's friends and everything so i don't know so i'm i'm very excited it just looks so good and this might be the first time where i would actually completely double dip and get the 3ds game as well as the wii u game um maybe not in that order i'd probably get the wii u game first someday but they just it has me that excited so do you know if the level design will be different across platforms you know that is an extremely important question um, I don't because extreme with just an X. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Look at this guy, like a pro. <laughs> um, uh, no, I I don't know because I've only been I've really only seen footage from the Wii U version. I don't think, you know, kind of going along with my earlier policy of letting important information come to me. I have not really seen much from the 3DS version. I know I've watched a couple videos, but I can't remember. If, you know, the lay, I, I feel like the environments were the same, but I can't remember if, like, the actual, you know, complete level design was the same. Because if that were the case, then that would be a stupid purchase. But I didn't, I thought they, they were going to be different enough. And that's all I got, because I have no other last comments. All right, well, uh, I guess we should wrap this up, but I, I did want to say... In, in relation to Sonic, that uh, I was very happy to see him back in the new Smash. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, he's one of my favorite characters to play in Brawl, and uh, I was quite geeked to see him there. 
Yeah, he's he's a lot of fun to play as. I could never really win. Yeah, he's he's tricky to to really succeed at, yeah. but he's still fun to play. But a lot of fun, yeah. And uh, so yeah, so I'm excited for that. That looks really cool. Uh, but we should wrap this up. It's it's That's super it. late now. Like it was only five minutes ago when I said that, but now it's like thirty minutes since yeah. then. I don't know how that time paradox works. I don't either. Um, we should ask whatever game I can't remember we talked about time paradoxes in. Ocarina of Time, that's what it was. What is the official Negative World podcast timeline? <laughs> uh, one. You know the, the one where I died? Two. Um, when you, yeah, when you died, episode 40, that's actually where the split happened between episode 49 and 49.5. But yeah, cool. but that didn't. So what you got was us, and uh, and that wraps up another episode of the Negative World podcast. Uh, we'd like you to comment, of course, on what you've heard. Uh, you can do that at negativeworld.org, where you're likely listening to this from. Um, you just got to find the thread associated with this episode. And if you don't want to subscribe to Negative World, you can reach us through the Facebook page. You just got to search for negativeworld.org there. And uh, you can follow us also on Twitter, at negative underscore world. And uh, as always, don't forget there's this enhanced podcast you can subscribe to, which has cool chapter art made by me. And it's not really that cool, but it's uh, it's nice to have chapters. Pretty cool. Yeah. And actually, in, in an episode like, like today, you know, we have a lot of different things to talk about. I probably will painstakingly go through and make chapters for each stupid one of them. And so if you feel like, uh, you know, you're looking at the list, and you're like, I don't want to hear about Mario Party. I want to hear about uh, Etrian Odyssey. You can jump right to it. Is there anything you guys want to plug or anything? I mean, Joe, I mean, I pretty much, you know, work with you all the time. So I, I think I would know if you had something to plug, but... Uh, do you want to plug your site? We haven't done that in a while. Nintemple.com. It's a site that exists. <laughs> <laughs> That's our slogan. Existing since 2000... what? Uh, nine. So, Nintemple.com. Existing since 2009. Maybe. Hmm? Since you're not so sure. I think it was January 1st, 2009, something like that. Were we just like... trying to be ironic or something? What? Just with the date, you're like, oh, let's do it on the first day. I just thought it would be like a clean, you know. Are you taking pictures of yourself every day, too? <laughs> no. Or, or pictures of the sites so you can watch it evolve over time in 10 years? <laughs> you know what? I, uh, never mind. We'll talk, I don't want to get us on another tangent. <laughs> okay. We'll talk about that out, uh, off the podcast, whatever you're mentioning. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ricky, anything you want to say? or? Uh, no, I'm good, thanks. <laughs> that's uh, that's his Twitter handle uh, at no I'm good thanks uh, catch him do, on there I do want to plug my blender though because I really want a smoothie right now he wants to plug his blender folks I like that and with that note I'm out uh, alright well enjoy your smoothie uh, Joe enjoy your air conditioning thank Ricky you Ricky Bicycle Dude. has left the building Ricky Bicycle excellent oh. excellent podcasting Ricky yes come yes. back soon. thank you well, you, you can you can always trust the bike to be there, you know, in, in times of need mm-hmm. to get you here and there, to get you through a podcast. Ricky Bicycle is there for you. Wrap it up. Never going to explain that. No, no. <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Bye.